welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are finally talking about Mr. Impossible by Maggie Steve Otter. But as usual, before we get into the books, we want to talk about our obsessions this week. Corinne? So this past week, I was very excited to have read Instructions for Dancing by Nicola Yoon. She is um, a YA author. Again, as I've mentioned before in this podcast, I have this glaring hole over the last 10 years of contemporary YA things that I haven't read. And I think her first two books, Everything, Everything, and The Sun is Also a Star. The Sun is Mm -hmm. Also a Star, yes, uh, were very big within the last decade. And I had not read either of them, but I was able to get an advanced copy of Instructions for Dancing from the publisher. So thank you to them. And it was just a beautifully written book kind of mediating on loss and love and how they go hand in hand. It's about this girl who loves love. She's super into romance novels. She's a senior in high school. And then her parents get divorced because her dad was cheating on her mom. And she's just kind of devastated by this and is in the process of giving away all her romance novels and is very upset by it. And for reasons, all of a sudden has this ability to, when she sees a couple that's truly in love kiss, she gets flashes of their entirety of their relationship from the beginning all the way through to the end. So whether that's death, a breakup, whatever it is. And so this for her is kind of just reinforcing for her that love, I mean, it's just, it's always going to end. Like, what's the point? There's no point in it until she goes and meets a boy. Of course, it is kind of a very lovely swoony romance in there too, but mostly it is again, this, this examination of how love and, and pain kind of do go hand in hand. And it's, it's a short book. It's only about 300 pages, but it is beautifully written and really packs a punch and just made me really emotional. And I'd like to go back and read her other two books now because it was just probably going to be one of my most favorite contemporary YA books of the year. That was really great. I was actually looking at my Goodreads. Like, what did I read this thing? I didn't really <laughs> read a lot besides that. I was trying to figure out why. And it's because I have been watching, as I previously said, Grey's Anatomy, like I'm in high school again. And also the OC, like I'm in high school again. <laughs> And just the early seasons of the OC are just so good. Seth Cohen is just a forever crush. He's Adam Brody, such a babe. And yeah, so I've been really enjoying that. I'm almost on season one. I love what Adam Brody has been doing with his career. Like everything that he does is just so, it's so perfect for him. Just like the dry kind of sarcastic dude that's still somehow really lovable. Like, did you ever see um, Ready or Not? No, I didn't. Oh my God. You need to watch that. He's great in it. But yeah, no, it seems like he's being very choosy kind of too about what he does now later in his career. And it seems like Leighton Meester, who he's married to in a convergence of like the early aughts, like teen drama powerhouse shows. Um, she was on Gossip Girl. It seems like she's doing more like conventional stuff. I think she was on like some sitcom. And it seems like he's just doing like choice things. And then maybe also just being a dad to their kids, which is adorable. Yeah. So, and Brody, you're a babe. Seth Cohen, also a babe. <laughs> it's great. How are you? What are you into these days? Finally started watching. I'm I'm trying to like, I liked a lot of anime or not, not I guess a lot, um, but I did like anime when I was younger. I watched a lot of Sailor Moon, uh, Inuyasha, stuff like that. And I'm trying, I know that there's just like this huge, vast world of anime out there that I have barely dipped my toes into. So I've been trying to like select what I'm going to start with and 
and just how I'm going to get into that. So I decided to go with Attack on Titan, mostly thanks to TikTok and its obsession with uh, Levi Ackerman. It has then passed on to me. So I am almost done with the first season of Attack on Titan, and it's really good. It's kind of genuinely terrifying in moments. Like I, I think the end of the first episode, my jaw was on the floor. I was just horrified, and it was like in the best way. So there's that. Cool. That sounds fun. <laughs> and then I also read uh, The Poppy War, which is the first book in a trilogy by R.F. Kuang. And it's it's described as if... Like, like Avatar The Last Airbender, if Zula was the main character and everyone's on drugs, which is, I mean, oh, you got me hook, line and sinker. Uh, yeah, it's wow. it was great. It was uh, I mean, trigger warnings abound for literally everything, uh, but it's really beautifully told. The prose is great. It's kind of unexpectedly hilarious. I'm dying for the next one. I've already bought it. I'm just I got to get some of my other. Uh, but yeah, it's. It's amazing. It's really good. And uh, she based a lot of it on um, like uh, early 20th century Chinese history, like um, during World War II and stuff. So a lot of like the most harrowing and and awful things that are happening, because I mean, this is obviously a war, are are based on real events. So that gives it like more weight. She at the end of the book, she includes this list of nonfiction books because she uh, studies Chinese history. Oh, cool. So it made me really want to dive in and and. I mean, we don't learn about that stuff in high school here. No, so we don't. And that's a really good way to do it. Especially if you've done all the research and the work to make your book as historically accurate as you want to or can, yeah. that's a great way to put those resources in there. And- right. And I feel like it's a really great encouragement to like do your own research, you know, like this yeah. is, here's uh, just a little taste of what may have happened in history. Go look into it more. And that it absolutely encouraged me to. Cool. Well, that sounds awesome. I know you, you were telling me about it off air and it's added to the list. Throw it all on. <laughs> right. Powering as always. But I, I think another reason though why we haven't read a lot is that this book has been pervasive in all of our thoughts and actions. We talked a lot about it right when we first read it. As we mentioned in our last episode, we both managed to grab it early because Barnes & Noble put it out early, uh, which allowed us to read it on a weekend and then take a couple weeks to digest it before reading it in the pod and uh it was yeah a big obsession I think for both of us as always with uh Miss Steve Potter and her Raven Cycle books and adjacent books it was sort of like poorly planned out by us too because we had all this time like we, we read it the first time we were like okay we're not going to take notes we're just going to like absorb it the first time yeah. and then as it comes closer to recording time we'll just reread it but then we didn't think about the fact that it was going to deeply hurt our feelings and we'd have to go through that again. And so this was like a, a painful reread. Like Declan Lynch avoiding his problems and living his best <laughs> life in Boston. Like we were also avoiding this book and revisiting it. Not to say we didn't like it. Um, and we, we'll, we can talk about it more as we go through, but I, we both like really love this book. I think out of, I've only read, all the Raven Cycle stuff and then Scorpio Races of Maggie's. But for me, I think this is her best written book. It's an incredible feat of a book. It's so, so good. It's so densely packed. And so tight, like just oh. perfectly plotted and paced. Yeah. And her best chapters I've ever read, but that yes. doesn't mean it did not hurt me mm-hmm. immensely. 
So great. Like I can <laughs> <On> that note. <laughs> yeah. I contain multitudes as is this book and we're excited to talk about it. But we'll before we dive in, as always, we will start with a quick book summary here. And after that, we will dive on in. Ronan, Hennessy, and Bride are on the road trying to save dreamers from the moderators. Meanwhile, Jordan has stolen Declan's car and traveled to Boston, where she receives an invitation from Boudicca and goes to a party the organization throws, where she discovers that Boudicca has sleep medals, works of art that can wake dreams whose dreamers have died. The most expensive one is a painting by J.H. Hennessy entitled Jordan in White. Back at the barns, Declan is being tormented by Ronan's dream creatures, but after receiving a postcard from Jordan, he and Matthew travel to Boston to meet her. While on the road, Bride teaches Ronan and Hennessy about the limited energy of the ley lines, and they begin to make a plan to restore the ley lines to help dreamers like themselves. Carmen Farouk Lane reflects on her brother Nathan's past, and she feels guilty for not realizing that her brother was a serial killer until he killed their parents. Ronan, Bride, and Hennessy go to Pennsylvania to pick up another dreamer, Rhiannon Martin. The moderators descend, and Carmen is shocked when they kill Rhiannon, ultimately causing her to leave with Liliana and Hennessy's drum sword, which she left behind. Declan and Matthew visit Adam and Harvard. Adam warns them that Bride might not be who he seems. He's worried that Bride is manipulating Ronan to cause destruction to the whole world. In dream space, Bride leads Ronan and Hennessy to find an older version of Ronan curled up in Elordan, an old dreamt tree in a forest whose dreamer has died. After nearly dying due to an excess of nightwash, Ronan finally agrees to help save the ley lines. He and Hennessy then engage in acts of industrial espionage at the behest of Bride, destroying property that is destructing the ley lines. Adam realizes this is happening, telling Declan that as a result, there have been surges of ley line energy. Adam and Declan are worried about Bride's influence on Ronan. Declan meets with Jordan at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. Jordan tells Declan about the sleep medals. They find that the painting El Jaleo by John Singer Sargent is a sleep medal. Declan asks if Jordan plans to steal the painting, but she reveals that she wants to make her own sleep medal. They ultimately learn that sweet medals are made when the artist is painting something personal that invokes passionate feelings from the artist. While Jordan helps Matt come to terms with his dreamt origin, she works on a painting of Declan, which she hopes will be a sweet medal. When she finally finishes it, she, she and Declan kiss. After quitting the moderators, Carmen meets with Declan. They want to work together to defeat Bride, but also keep Ronan safe. As Carmen tries to defeat Bride, the moderators descend again, and Ronan and Bride escape but Hennessy stays behind. Ronan is angry at both Declan and Adam for betraying their location to the moderators, and he cuts off contact with both of them. Hennessy talks with Carmen and Liliana. Hennessy is upset that she feels as though Ronan and Bride have simply pandered to her, keeping her in the dark about their efforts to keep the lace from her. Together with Carmen and Liliana, they decide to cut off all energy from the ley lines, Hennessy realizes that this will cause Jordan and Matthew to fall asleep, but Carmen and Liliana assure her that this is the right thing to do. In a dream, Bride shows Ronan the dam they want to destroy for the ley line. While they brainstorm, Bride reveals that Ronan dreamt him. Ronan and Hennessy meet in dream space, where Hennessy dreams an object to shut the ley line down. Ronan is unable to stop her, and when she wakes up, she pulls the plug on the ley line. Matthew falls asleep. All the moderators in Declan's apartment fall asleep. Bride stays awake because of a sweet medal he had stolen from Locke, one of the moderators at the beginning of the book. Ronan also stays asleep, but Jordan is still awake. So lots of things, as always, happened in this book, but I felt like even more things happened because everyone was far flung 
from each mm-hmm. other in this book. It also felt very just like expansive in terms of time. I still, even after two reads, don't have a great sense of how much time exactly this all took place in. It seemed like Ronan and crew were on on the road forever, but then Adam says something like, it's been like weeks. Why haven't you texted me back? So I don't know. Maggie's, we've talked about this before. If you've listened to our other (laughs) Raven Cycle episodes, it's not the best with like time. She just clearly does not care about time. Correct. I mean, fair, because what is time? Yeah. So I, I have a lot of questions about how long this was all taking place, but it, it seemed like a, a longer period of time passed than in call down the Hawk. Yeah. These characters all managed to, you know, do a lot during that time, you know, engage in acts of what is the term that Adam uses? Like industrial espionage, industrial espionage, setting up literal whole new lives in other cities. You know, they get up to a lot in those few weeks. we were talking before we started about where we would start today's episode. If you will recall from our call down the Hawk episodes, we didn't start always with Ronan because we wanted to make sure we gave all the other characters their due. And we certainly will give all the characters their due here today, but to not talk about Ronan first is like, we'd be dancing around. Yeah. Everything in this book, essentially. So let's, let's dive in first. We'll talk about Ronan himself and how he's doing during this book. Badly. <laughs> yeah, he's not doing well. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I think this is maybe the worst place we've ever seen Ronan, and that is taking the dream thieves into account. Like, I, I think this is, we thought that he hit his, his, his like ground level in the dream thieves and everything's going up from there. But no, he found a new, a new lower place and it's, it hurts. Yeah, well, and I think it hurts, too, because the Dream Thieves gives him his own one book arc, and so it Mm -hmm. ends on such a hopeful note, and here it's just like a pit of despair, and that's my biggest takeaway from this book at the end is, I remember I was literally like laying in my bed, I couldn't move for a while, like much like a dreamer, waking up after taking some of their dreams, I was just like laying there in the bed, texting you, being like, I am just so, it's so upsetting it's so hard to read a character that you love so, so much. And that has already overcome so much to see yeah. him kind of let himself get dragged down again. Right. And one of the things that I've seen kind of on Tumblr a little bit and posts, you know, since this book came out, is kind of saying how it's like a regression of Ronan's arc and his progress through the Dream Thieves. But I don't think that that is true at all I don't see it like that at all no in the dream thieves his whole arc is about coming to terms with two important parts of himself the fact that he's a dreamer and the fact that he's gay here it is okay now what does being a dreamer mean for me in my life and is the life that I previously wanted sufficient enough to to motivate me for the rest of my life or do I need to like seek out a bigger world well and I think like the end like his arc and the end of the dream thieves and the end of the raven king like that's the end of that arc but that's not the end of Ronan that's you know he doesn't die and it's all over there like that's that's not really how life works maybe you've you like you said you get to this point where you've accepted that you're gay you've accepted that you're a dreamer you're opening up these new worlds but that's not the end of your story. 
he's still 19 years old. He still has a ton more life to live and he has a hundred more arcs to go through. Right. Yeah, totally. And this is one. (laughs) Yeah, this is one. And it feels, it felt for me very, very natural, especially in this book too, where you get more peppered in about Ronan's history. You know, he venerated his parents so much in the main series. He is still though in those books, very much dealing with the recency of their death and the effects that they have on him in that immediate time frame. Well, now you, you know, with anything, the more distance you get, the more you see the issues with some of those things and you're, you're not holding your parents up on the same pedestal, but that, that chapter that we get, for instance, where Aurora tells him to bury his secrets and bury his dreams and not tell anyone about it. But now that he's been able to move past and as much as he can to that point, past his parents' death, he's really starting to see like, now he has to reckon with the trauma. Yeah. And it is, oh, it is so, it is so traumatic, but I think that's maybe a good point to start with. Like it's the prologue here um, because what I love Maggie is just like on reread her, everything she does is always great. But on reread, as we've said before, rereads are so rewarding and her prologues always knock things out of the park. And what I loved here is that she starts the prologue where there's this whole like, you know, the all three dreamers, Pride and Hennessy and Ronan are, they're all converging in, in one place here. And the, the moderators are trying to kill another dreamer. And they have this whole like car chase, which is very Maggie. But this is what he's thinking during that, you know, nightmares are lessons. His mother Aurora had told him once they feel wrong because you know what's right. Nightmares are bitches, his father Niall had told him once. Let them smile at you, boy, but do not get their numbers. Nightmares are chemical, his boyfriend Adam had told him once. Inappropriate adrenaline response to stimulus, possibly related to trauma. And there's that great response from Ronan, which is talk dirty to me. But when you go back and like look at this whole book and how it's structured, Ronan's worst nightmare is this, you know, waking up and seeing himself in the mirror and he can't tell the difference between reality and the dream. And then it's kind of like, that's what's happening with him and, and, and bride at the end, it's a manifestation of that dream, but she lays it out here for you here in the prologue. Adam says nightmares are chemical, inappropriate adrenaline response to stimulus, possibly related to trauma. He is dealing with his trauma this whole book long and it's, she lays out kind of that thesis statement for you in the prologue. And I don't think it's trauma just, just related to his family. It's also the trauma right. of, of losing caves water, which was hugely traumatic for him. He, yeah. he dreamt caves water. He brought, or he, he manifested it into the waking world. And, and you see that kind of trauma that he's dealing with about it in Opal when he's afraid to even try to, to dream another dream space because his last one was so destroyed and, and because he, he wasn't able to, to protect it. And so now he's made this new one that is capable of protecting itself because he dreamt that kind of protection into it, which makes me think like that's when Bride was first percolating or if he mm-hmm. is not just a dream, but something also that Ronan ended up manifesting into waking world. I mean, he, he says multiple times that he, he made, or he tells Jordan, or sorry, Hennessy, that he, um, he created Lyndon Mir to have, to be scarier and to be tougher and to be more capable of protecting itself. What better way for a dream to protect itself by, than by manifesting this, this creature like bride, which is hell bent on dreamer slash lay line supremacy. 
and yeah. in remaking the world in the ley lines image, basically. Yeah, no, it's, it all go, it all ties in, right? You know, it's not just how shitty his parents were, which they were in. We tend to especially venerate Aurora as being like saint-like and innocent, but she was complicit in a lot of things too, mm-hmm. maybe because of how Niall made her, but it's the family stuff. It's the trauma of Caveswater and this connection to this like magical force that he doesn't fully understand. It's his friends moving on. It's Adam moving on. It's all of these things. And it doesn't have to be like trauma with capital T, like one very bad negative event that happened to you. It, it It's all of those things and they all compound together and they're all chipping away at him yeah you get it and you feel for him and you understand why he makes the choices that he makes but it doesn't make it any easier to read because you're you're basically watching him sabotage himself right and it's kind of like what bride tells him later in in his attempts to manipulate um ronan and hennessy and tell them that they're their families and stuff don't care about them or they're like, they're, they're better off without them. Essentially. They love you. They support you. They wave goodbye as you flee without them. And then they return to their own lives to muddle through without you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He says the view in the rear view mirror is often a painful one. They love you. They support you. Like you said, but they're, they're basically releasing you out into the wild to fix things on your own. And they might not thank you for returning to them. Yeah. Which is like master manipulation from Brian. We'll mm-hmm. talk about, about him in a second here, but in that part, he's like not necessarily wrong. Cause we've got like Declan, like living his, again, living his best life in Boston and avoiding thinking about a Ronan. He he's like so unconcerned with Ronan for most of this book. And we'll talk about it again, how, how again, he's avoiding things, but mm-hmm. Brian's not like totally wrong, except Ronan says, well, you're wrong about Adam anyway. And it's like, that's true. Uh, but at that moment, it, it is, it's, it's not wrong because that is, is kind of exactly what is happening there. But what I think is really interesting too, is he's being very self-destructive, but I like love when Declan goes to Carmen and says, I love my brother, but like, here's what you need to know about him. And it's so true of Ronan. I love my brother so that when I say this next part, I'm saying it from a place of fondness. Ronan's a follower. He's always needed a hero to follow. When he was a kid, he idolized my father. When he was in school, he idolized his best friend. Now he's obviously idolizing this bride. Nail on the head. Dead on. And what I think that gives me solace here. I've done a lot of like ruminating on the previous books in this series since this book came out because she just there's so many things to draw from at least for me and like as I'm wallowing in despair about where Ronan is in this book there's so much to draw from from previous books here I keep coming back to the the famous line and famous to us infamous amongst us nerdy obsessive so I don't know if that means it's really famous but how Declan is telling Ronan about their father and the Raven King and he says that Niall told him to make sure Ronan was the name of the hero and not the name of just another spear. And really, I think that's what the big takeaway of the series is going to be is Ronan finding a way to make himself the hero. And Declan has always been so spot on about Ronan. And so taking aside again, his little like trip to Boston and just, you know, forgetting 
<laughs> about his brother for a little bit here, but he's always so right. And he always has Ronan just down to a T. Like he knows exactly what he needs. And so I, I keep thinking, okay, like that's where Ronan is going. This like sucks right now, but that's where we're going, right? That's where we're going. Tell me you agree. I think this, this journey is the most necessary journey for Ronan. Um, because yeah, Declan is absolutely right. Ronan is a follower. And when you kind of reanalyze everything that's come before this, like you realize that it's not something I would have declared on my own. Like, oh yeah, Ronan is totally a follower, but he is. And Declan is absolutely right. And what we need here is exactly what you said is Ronan needs to become the hero and not like the hero in a broad general sense, but his own hero. He needs to learn to trust in himself. And until he can do all that stuff, he can't do the things that he wants to so badly that he feels are holding him back, which is grow up and which is be able to do something aside from dream and which is uh, grow and progress the way Adam is. So he doesn't feel left behind anymore. Right. And I do think too, just to turn back to that language from the prologue, you know, Aurora says to him, nightmares are lessons. They feel wrong because you know, it's right. And I think that's where he's headed, right? Like he's going to, this is the nightmare, like book two, is the nightmare. It's terrible, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be a lesson for him. And even Niall says, let them smile at you, but but do not get their numbers. Mm -hmm. He, he got bride's number, unfortunately. Yeah, no, he a hundred percent did, but like, it's all going to be a lesson. It's all going to like come out on the, the other side, but that doesn't make it easier for like instance, to think back on how in called on the Hawk, we speculated about this on our, our called on the Hawk podcast episode you know Maggie says things to you and we after being tricked by Noah I've been dead for seven years journey we tend to try to analyze everything she tells us and take it at face value so when she said and called on the hawk Ronan Lynch was going to end the world we speculated oh is that gonna be true and like it is true <laughs> like that's what's happening in this book. Like she's so good. She's so prophetic in her own writing. It's so smart, but it doesn't make it easier to then go back and read and be like, no, no, he's actually, he's doing it. Yeah. And back to what you said about um, dreams feeling wrong. Like they feel wrong because you know, what's right. Um, every time he looks at bride for a few minutes in this book, he thinks about how wrong he feels in some way. Like, like it was on the tip of his tongue. He almost remembered something, but then he didn't. It, it's all setting up for the reveal at the end yeah. and Hennessy too. She, she keeps thinking he reminds her of someone, but then she couldn't yeah. remember who at the last second. Yeah. Fucking bride. Well, let's talk about him in just a second. There's going to be so much about bride. So much bride, bride. So I feel like we're kind of like almost rushing past Ronan, but we're like, it's just that Ronan is tied into everything else in this, in right. this book. I do think it is important if you're listening to this podcast that even if we right now and you're thinking, wow, they're like really just talking about Ronan very quickly here. It's impossible to state the amount of time we have spent talking about him off air since <laughs> it is, it's like, we have done a lot of work personally to get to this point where we can talk about him and not be like totally devastated about it because it, this book is a gut punch. If you're a Ronan Lynch fan, it just, it is, we have done again, work on ourselves to bring ourselves to a positive point when it comes to him and his journey Mm -hmm. and really, you know, looking back, this is a point that friend of the pod, Jesse made, um, after she finished 
reading it too and we were talking about it you know how the trilogy or the original series is is Gansey's journey and really Adam's in a lot of ways if you're Mr. Gray and he thinks you know Adam's the leader of their gang in the Raven cycle Ronan did have like a great moment of like personal growth but he didn't have like a big moment where again he gets to be the hero and that's like what he needs here he needs to figure this all out himself and we I don't know if we want to talk about it now or, or later how I think he is going to ultimately do that but how I where I keep coming back to is how this series starts with the words this is going to be a story about the Lynch brothers and how that is going to be something that that brings him back from the brink here maybe even I think more than Adam honestly because this is going to be mm-hmm. a story about the Lynch brothers yeah I went back and looked in the Raven King at that quote from Declan where he says you know, make sure Ronan is named the hero, not the name of the spear. And the next line after that is on the inside, the Lynch brothers were remarkably similar. They all loved cars themselves and each other. And like, ain't that the truth? (laughs) (laughs) I have so many big Lynch brother feelings. It it hurts. It's debilitating, honestly, but yeah, it's, it's exactly that. And it's really interesting the way that um, Ronan has all of these like these needs and wants, like wanting to grow up, wanting to grow with Adam. You know, he has all those dreams about Adam being older, but he's not older. And then and he dreams this protection into Lindenmere, and then Bride shows up, and and Bride is kind of like that that embodiment of, of everything that Ronan wants and needs. Like not a lead, not just a leader, but someone who will make the world the kind of world that Ronan thinks he needs in order to be free, uh, to be able to live anywhere, to follow Adam. And what he needs to realize with this, what this whole journey is going to be about for him is that he, he can accomplish this on his own. He doesn't need bride because what bride wants, because it's like an exaggeration of, of Ronan's wants, right? So what bride wants is to completely destroy the world as we know it now and remake it into something else. But Ronan doesn't actually need that in order to gain his freedom. Right. And that's just, it's going to be about him figuring that out and figuring out how to do that. It's going to be via the brothers. <laughs> I know it has to well, be. Well, I keep thinking too, and we'll talk again more extensively about Declan, but how much of similar their arcs kind of are in this book. And it, comes down to one thing it comes down to Matthew it comes down to both of them feeling so burdened essentially by the fact of Matthew we know we get a lot of that from Declan we know that all along that he's just had to be such a caretaker for his brothers in particular for Matthew but we get a section here where Ronan thinks about how after Declan tells him that he dreamt Matthew Ronan thinks about how he said something like he'd been burdened by that ever since. Like if something happens to Declan, something happens to you, something happens to Matthew. And he'd just been like, so burdened by that for so long. And that's, that's so similar to like what Declan is going through and what he's been going through his whole life. Right. They have so much more commonality than they, than they realize they're so similar in this, the same ethos that they want the same things in so many ways. And so I can't wait to see, Again, this is going to be a story about the Lunch Brothers. We are going to get some great stuff only from them in the next book, and I, I can't wait for it. Especially because they left on such kind of fraught terms. 
um, because Ronan's seeing Declan as betraying him. Yeah. Oh God. It's gonna be, they're going to have to like work their way back to each other, mm-hmm. which is going to be, I mean, anything like that with Ronan is always going to be a huge feat. Totally. Absolutely. That phone call between him and Declan and we'll talk about the one with him and Adam in a few minutes too, but ouch. I, that was like, I had to sit down and be like, okay, I feel like it's high for a minute. Like, Ronan's throwing phones out the window. I I can't. Just left and right. It's so upsetting. Well, I wanted to go back to the idea of of Ronan in the end of this journey and what he needs to do to finish. Like Ronan mm-hmm. is going to be the hero yeah. at the end of this, right? And I thought it was very interesting that Ronan thinks about this him and Adam flashback, where um, you know Adam he likes to pose these kind of philosophical questions and and work out the answer, even if it's just a hypothetical. Adam's telling him like, oh, you know, with what happened with Matthew and, and Aurora and everything, what happens if you dream somebody else? What happens if you dream somebody you don't want? Would you be able to kill them? And Ronan just keeps saying, you know, he keeps ostriching through this whole conversation. He's going, it's not going to happen, Ronan had said, so it doesn't matter. And then Adam says, I think you ought to assume it's going to happen at some point and make a plan. And Ronan just keeps repeating, it's not going to happen. But the threat had lodged inside him. And I think that's a really important flashback considering what he might need to do with the bride situation because bride is this monster that he's created. This monster that's made up of all of his worst impulses and insecurities. Yeah. That is such a good point and a really good example of how I don't think that anything that she said in this book is unimportant. Nothing is incidental. Nothing is by accident. It is it is a short book. I remember she like showed it on Instagram. It was like a boomerang almost of the, of the book. And I was like, Oh, it's short. Like that's sad, but it mm-hmm. is like she, every single word is so intentional and it's so smart. And which I love because I mean, we get, we talk a lot uh, off air about these other books that we're reading and some of them are just like you know 630 pages yeah. of filler uh, on just completely unnecessary. Maggie just has this, she has her ship down, down so tight. It's so tight, no holes, nothing is filler. I also think another example of this is when they're visiting Rhiannon and they're trying to convince her to go with them. And she has, Rhiannon is also a dreamer and she dreams just these mirrors and these mirrors show like they're somebody's truest self, I think. Mm -hmm. And Ronan thinks normally he did not think outside his outside appearance at all reflected who he really was on the inside, but this mirror showed him an exterior Ronan just as complicated as the interior Ronan. The mirror presented a guard, a guarded bruiser, but one whose eyebrows gave way to startling gentleness. There was a cruel and arrogant dismissiveness in this Ronan's face, but also bravery. The line of his mouth held at once a crumple of depression and the shape of a grin. Anger simmered in his eyes, but so did an intense savage humor. To his shock, he found that he liked this person in the mirror. And then a few sentences later, he's noting that Bride looks at his reflection, but kind of scurries away before anybody else can see it. And I'm really wondering what, what that reflection would have held for Bride. No, oh, that's so fascinating. That's like, that's an example though, of the whole like scene at Rhiannon's house. I don't know what that means long-term. So, you know, like we could be here honestly and go chapter by chapter through this book and like spend the next year and a half until the third book puzzling over all this and I can just say I'm ready to stamp everything bad that happens in this book with some premeditated bride shit yeah so on that note let's get into bride yeah let's talk about bride because 
this motherfucker. Like what? (laughs) So, so angry. He is so manipulative. Yeah. Just so we we talked about this a lot in our last in our call on the hawk episodes about what we thought bride's deal was and i guess we can talk about some of the things that we were like right about and wrong about but one of the things that we were like universal and agreeing about was how we thought this was like classic groomer behavior and he is the master manipulator in so many ways and i think what is really interesting about like the rhiannon scene and the scene with the kids the house they go to with all like the dreamer kids is like that's all mass manipulation it's all it is Mm -hmm. he's manipulating every single dreamer that he comes in contact with but what is really hard to stomach in this book too is how he is constantly doing it to ronan and hennessy while they're on the road and it's like it's really upsetting like i have not wanted to reach into the pages of a book and like bitch slap a character (laughs) so hard so bad because he is tearing them down he is tearing them down but in a way that makes them feel more dependent on him which is of course you know the classic abuser behavior Mm -hmm. um making them feel that they can't do anything without him that without him before them or you know sorry before him they were just running around fucking up and now he's given them purpose. Now he's given them skill. Now he's doing all of this for that, for him. And he's, I, I, I don't trust anything that he does. Like literally that, that whole child scene was clearly just to be, because he even says to Ronan, like, like, I just wanted you to see what good we're doing here. What it is in, it is manufactured intentionally to pull at Ronan's heartstrings and to make him feel more attached to, their plan into everything that they're doing, all of this crazy industrial espionage shit yeah. that they're doing. And the Rhiannon thing too, because, you know, they say, um, don't kill anybody where the trees can see you and everything. And, and Bride has been able to predict everywhere that the moderators would be. And they tried intentionally to hide like their, their plans for finding them at Rhiannon's place. But I don't think that there's any reason to think that Bride did not know about that and that he didn't arrange that essentially. Yeah. yeah. So, and this comes down to kind of the big things that we have personally been chewing over since we finished this book. And we've talked about it a lot with basically everyone you ever heard on our previous <laughs> Raven Cycle episodes. We've been <laughs> chatting about this a lot with all of them. It's entirely accurate. Yes. But the idea of, okay, is Bride just Ronin's subconscious, like made, made, whole made person personified or is he something else too and and i think we're i think we both land on he's he's a bit of both and yeah and on reread too bride actually says at the end he says i'm made of you and linden mirror yes so he is literally i mean and i think like like and because linden mirror we know like cape's water was manifested by ronan not created whole cloth by ronan and also, I think there's a lot of hints to this, too, with he's repeated several times in this book that he is older than he seems. He tells Hennessy that he's way older than Ronan believes he is. And he like, there's that really insidious moment where he looks at Hennessy and he goes, have you figured, figured out, out my secret? secret? Yeah, and no, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think like Lyndon Mirbride is something that is ancient that Ronan gave shape to. Yeah, so he did with Cape's Water, too. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think it definitely is absolutely 100% true that, again, Ronan gave Bride the tools to attack him with. 
And so when mm-hmm. you read all of the bride stuff that and all this, 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 these terrible things he's saying to Ronan, they are a manifestation of Ronan's own insecurities and self-doubt. He knows exactly where to poke. Right. And again, that's one of the things Maggie writer books always rewarding and reread going back to read called on the hawk there are multiple references to bride being ruined and self-conscious like she's just like a genius like she totally mm-hmm. tricked us the way that she can just throw this all out is so obviously and and we never pick it up until we can never put it together right until she does 100 percent. and multiple people say it, you know or Hennessy something says something like, "Oh, like so you're subconscious," and Ron's like, "No, he knows things I couldn't know," and like it comes from multiple people too. So it's really, really fascinating. But one of the interesting things I think we do learn during this book in particular is that dream space just kind of like takes like your physical form of like your body and like your own internal thoughts and like does away with that so they're all when they're sharing dream space sharing each other's thoughts it's interesting to me that in retrospect if they're not sharing bride's thoughts but if he is Mm -hmm. part of the dreamscape itself and part of whatever magical system lindemir is and the ley line powers it makes sense to me that he can be part of of, he can tap into Hennessy's own self-doubt. I mean, he knows so much about Hennessy that again, she never told him. And like, it's, it's not necessarily from the, the trees. Like he, he's able to tap into their psyches in a way. And I think it's tenfold with Ronan because he, Ronan manifested him. Ronan brought forth him as a dream. And we know that all of Ronan's dreams ultimately take on characteristics of himself and parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so he has taken all the negative parts of himself and put them into this physical manifestation of bride. But I, again, don't, as we said, he is something beyond just a dream of Ronan. Right. I mean, I believe entirely that he is something else, but that he also does have a little bit of Ronan in him. But and like- I think even if he wasn't something else, even if he was created whole cloth by Ronan with no other influences, everything that he's doing is still separate from Ronan in the sense that like, like Ronan created Matthew, but Matthew is his own consciousness. Matthew makes his own decisions. Matthew maybe has a a predestined kind of personality or, or attraction for other people. He is still his own person making decisions. So maybe Ronan or sorry, maybe bride had these intentions for lack of a better word, bred into him. Um, regarding the ley lines and everything, he is taking it to a place that Ronan doesn't necessarily want to. But at the end, he rejoins Bride on his whole thing, even, you know, despite having all these doubts throughout the whole book, he commits completely to Bride at, by the end because he's felt kind of abandoned by everybody else. Right. Yeah. Hennessy included. Right. And his brothers. Yeah. This is something I'm going to quote you that I copied and pasted from one of the texts. <laughs> No, because I was like, I don't want to forget this. This is great. But like your whole point too is like, you know, Ronan wants to be free and be able to change and grow up. Bride wants dreamers to rule the world. You can definitely accomplish one by accomplishing the other, but Ronan needs to figure out that the achievement of the latter isn't required for him to achieve the former, his freedom. And so Mm -hmm. that's, I think the biggest indicator to me that they are ultimately kind of separate things here. And I also point back to, too, in my own thinking about this, the idea of how so much of the Raven cycle was about the idea of magic as metaphor. Glendower doesn't exist 
in a, in the way that they are searching for him. He is essentially a myth that propels this group of friends forward and is a vehicle for their own journey of self-discovery. And I think that's kind of what, what Bride is here. Yes, he can be a combination of Ronan himself. and But I think mo- most mostly he's this, again, an indicator of magic is metaphor. Yeah, he's part of Ronan, but he's also part of this big magical system that Ronan needs to move through in order to complete his journey and to serve as a metaphor for all the things going on in his life. And I think one of the things I meant to mention in the Ronan section I didn't. One of the things that Maggie has said, particularly in a Reddit, um, asked me anything that she did right when the book came out, was talking about how a lot of this book is about chronic illness and living in a world that's not meant for you. And that's something that she's personally struggled with. So again, she loves to play with, with metaphor. And I think that's really what a lot of what he, he is here. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it still wasn't like a total mind fuck at the end. I mean, to be like, oh, holy shit, like run and dumped him. So you were partially right, Tasia, I guess. I mean, you were right, but not. Yeah. Like you didn't say that he was Ronan's dream. No, but you said that you thought he was a dream and that was very good. I'm proud of you. Where's my gold star? You get a gold star. It was great. (laughs) We were definitely kind of on the, on the nose on. So that was, that was great. One thing I do want to point out though, as I saw this on Tumblr as like an alternate theory, I guess almost of what's going on here is there's this scene with old Ronan in the tree. Uh, I forget what the tree's name is. Illidoran. Illidoran. Yeah. So after Re- the shootout at Rhiannon's where Ronan is basically like dying because of the night wash. Uh, they, t- they go back into dream space and they go to this tree and there's this old, old version of, of Ronan in the tree. And Hennessy fl- it's Hennessy's POV at that point. She flashes back to bride saying that he was old, older than he meaning Ronan thinks. And so like, we know from the Raven cycle that time is a big question mark in this world. It's goddamn slinky. Exactly. So is it possible that like somehow that bride is like future Ronan? I just have one thing to say about that whole theory. And that is that it broke my brain. It did break my brain. It It is incredible. Yeah, it is. I I mean, so if that's the case, then like we're kind of wrong or maybe we're not wrong because Ronan has always been the gray Warren. Caveswater called him that. Lindemere called him that. His dead father even called him that. Correct. So we could be, you know, correct in saying that we do think Bride is this ancient other being, but maybe he is Ronan in some future form. And he can still be a dream. He's still going to be all these things because it is interesting then too. you think about how, I don't know, like I've been more willing to not be totally convinced that Ronan is necessarily Niall and Aurora's son like I don't know and at the end he's still like asleep we don't know if that might means it probably means he pulled something from his dream but like maybe not like maybe so maybe there is just more to Ronan Lynch that we don't know of other than son of a dream and a dreamer Mm -hmm. and so much of this series so far has dealt with copies um, and and like we've mentioned before, I think um, in the Owl Crate letter for the first book in the series called On the Hawk, 
uh, she talks about how the story was inspired by her seeing like something that looked like a copy of herself on this kind of like back road somewhere mm-hmm. and it's scaring the shit out of her basically. So, I mean, bride could be some fu- future crazy timey wimey version, like copy of, of Ronan that has gone completely apeshit and, and has run off to do its own thing. And I mean, he even says like he brought them to that big tree stump that was called Illidora. And he said this used to be a forest like Lindenmere, but, you know, it's the ley line died. And so the, you know, and the tree was cut down and blah, 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 blah. And um, he says long ago, it had been dreamt by a dreamer that died. And this forest seems to be a major priority of brides. So like, was that his forest? Was that like some weird version of future version of Ronan's forest or past version of, I don't know. It breaks my it brain. It breaks my brain too. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know totally what to think about, but one thing that I do think about it is like, okay, we have this scene where Adam talks about, okay, like, would you, could you be able to kill another person if you brought them back? And then Ronan thinks that dream about how he's, you know, sometimes destroys everything in his dream before he leaves, because if he brings it back, it'll be like horrible, blah, 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 blah. Well, like, what has he done that we know? Who has he killed? What has he killed in, in the Raven cycle? A dreamt version of himself. He dreams mm-hmm. a version of himself and sacrifices himself in the dreams when they're trying to uh, pull the stuff to Black Mountain Colin Green Mantle. So he, that's what he's done before. And so like if Bride is some like future version of himself and we kind of think about how maybe that's where that's going because Adam says like, can you, you know, kill something you bring back? He has to kill like this fucked up older version of himself. And you think about too, he does think about growing older a lot here too. And we'll talk about the the pinch stuff that we do get in this book, which isn't a ton, but like he thinks about an older version of himself more here than he previously had. And I don't know. I don't know. I kind of just talked myself into believing that. I don't know. I I mean, really, it could be anything. It's it's back to call down the hawk days where we're throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. And I do think it would be an interesting twist on the idea of like the big reveal in this book being like Ronan dreamt bride. Because I think it was Melissa, a friend of the pod, Melissa, who'd been on one of our previous episodes um, when we were chatting with her about this. She said something like, how many times can Maggie pull this trick? And it's true. She's pulled this before. Ronan dreamt Matthew. Ronan dreamt Caveswater. Those are big reveals in the in the Raven cycle. So if this is going to be like, okay, yeah, Ronan dreamt Bride, but like it's more and it's got to be more. That'll be one way to do it. <laughs> Holy shit. Ugh. My brain is broken. It's so bro. All of these theories, like they, they literally hurt my head. I get headaches trying to, trying to logic this out because there's no, I mean, and Maggie is so good with dreams as like just an abstract because that's what dreams are just abstract, surreal nonsense. She's so good with them. It, it hurts me to try to even logic it out because there is no logicking it out. Yeah. But since you brought a pinch, should we, should we go to Adam and yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that, that big old womp womp. Yeah. It is a big old womp womp. Here's where I'm currently at today on the day of this recording. I'm feeling like <laughs> good about them. Not good about them. It's like this book is devastating if you're a pinch fan. Like it just is. We have been very, very open and effusive about how like pinch is like our all time OTP, not just of this series, but like kind of of, of every fiction. All time. Yeah. yeah. We love them so much. So this hurts like a mother. <laughs> Like it hurts mm-hmm. so bad, but 
I'm not concerned about them not like being together. That, like I don't like that. That they have very strong feelings for each other, and it is so evident in this book, despite mm-hmm. the fact that they're in two totally different places here. Rowan has spent so much time thinking about Adam. Adam, we know, is despite me initially being fooled by his roommate Fletcher telling the moderators that they broke up, and I was like, "What is happening here?" I was just mad that Adam would let anybody believe that, even for a second, even if it's for Ronan's safety. I understand it. Yeah. I understand it. I get it. It makes sense. I'm just. It upset me to read those it words. It did. I did not like it at all. Like I, my heart skipped a beat. Yeah. So it is, it's really hard. It's really upsetting to see all of this happen here, but it'll be, it's going to be okay. One of the things Maggie said, and again, that read at AMA was that Ron and Adam are the most important romantic relationship of this series. Like she, she knows that like she's, I don't think she's going to break them. She's going to break them up and like, they're going to be in a different place maybe, but they're not going to you know maybe it's not gonna be like summer at the barns Ronan and adam and like the in opal like where they're just like super happy but they i at least i'm very confident that at the end of this trilogy they are going to be like set up for a future together that's on good for both of them on on their own individual terms and together as a couple yeah well we talked about it a little bit in the ronin section that this journey really needs to happen for ronin and it needs to happen for ronin in order for him to ever have any kind of future with adam because he cannot be looking to adam to solve his problems or to make him happier to like, right. like in call down the Hawk Declan mentions and it hurt us then too, where he thinks that Adam wasn't enough for him either, but Ronan hadn't figured that out yet. Well, I think he has figured out now, figured that out now. And I think that's part of the reason why all of this is happening is because Adam wasn't enough. Declan was right. As usual throw Like he, he sees Ronan. He really sees Ronan. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, Rona needs to go through, they need to go through this journey. Rona needs to go through this journey so that they can be a they, so they can be an us together in the future. Otherwise their relationship is going to be an an imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. And Ronan is always going to feel like he's being left behind where I end up with, uh, Adam at the end of this book. I was fine. I like until today I was fine. I was like, Adam's great, uh, doing good. He has entered like somehow in my mind he's entered like middle-aged hot dad Adam except that he's like a freshman in college but sure yeah <laughs> I know I don't you know what he's just he's given me lots of Mr. Gray vibes big Mr. Gray vibes the, the quietly competent the you know he, he's got this whole version of himself for these other friends and, and Declan even thinks about it like oh they don't even know Adam <laughs> like they don't know him at all like Adam is just this this other creature and he's just got his shit together so much. I I love it for him. And I was feeling great. I was feeling great Adam wise. But then as I was finishing up my reread today, I'm scared (laughs) again, for some reason, because at the end, like the last scene we get with Adam is he is like the book says, I think Adam loved Ronan and he is scrying into dream space, trying to reach Ronan. Ronan's not letting him in. Uh, Ronan's not letting him find them. And he keeps scrying further and further, getting further and further from his body. And it notes like how dangerous that is. And then that's the end of Adam for the book. And at first I was, you know, whatever, that's, he's just looking for Ronan, it's fine. But then the ley line gets ripped out from underneath him. What happens then? What happens when the ley line gets ripped out from under somebody when they are scrying that far into dream space or into the, into the ether? 
I don't know. I'm nervous now, though. I made myself scared. Yes. However, <laughs> I get I, I, I'm scared, too, but she's not going to do anything to Adam Parrish. I really I know, but I'm yeah, just she's not. He, he has one of our favorite all time arcs of a character ever, period, mm-hmm. in stories. <laughs> Margaret, I have anxiety. He's a marvel of a character. <laughs> like she keeps <laughs> tweeting too. She's like, I'm old enough to remember when like no one in the Raven Cycle fandom loved like even liked Adam Parrish. She's she's not going to. I I'm yes, specifically as this book ends, I am I am nervous for him. Generally, I just I am like not even gonna go there. A because this isn't his story. Yeah, and what we're not gonna fridge Adam to motivate no. Ronan. Like she's gonna fridge him. And I just, I really don't think as much as I love pinch too, I, if there's going to be like something that motivates Ronan to make a turn here again, keep in mind, number one pinch stands here. I don't want it based on this story and how this trilogy is going. I don't want it to be Adam. I want it to be his brothers. This is, Mm -hmm. this is their, their story. And I think, you know, she had one POV chapter of Adam, which she cut because it didn't fit in this book. And, you know, there's things going on here with Adam yes he's very competent and like he's he's got like this whole like swindle going on at at harvard and it's great we love to see it but like he's still like processing things for himself too we're not gonna get his his side of that story here but he's in a much better place than ronan he's so much more confident and and secure like on on like an emotional level i'm not worried about adam And, and and one of the main reasons i'm not worried about adam in that sense is that Adam's not even really that worried about Ronan. Like he's trying to find him. He's trying to be like, Ronan, what are you doing? Like he's trying to help him, but he is not insecure in his relationship with Ronan at all. Yeah. Like he doesn't see Ronan Ronan running off with this guy and and doing all this crazy. And he doesn't think like, oh, Ronan is ignoring me. He's, he doesn't get offended about Ronan hanging up on him. He's in a secure place. He he loves him. He's still searching for him. He does though think when, when they finally have that, phone call which is awful but like he does think in that like he says you know I didn't know where you were I didn't know if you were okay I didn't know if we so I I think he is was a little more nervous than he let on I mean Declan does a lot of blocking Adam's reaction to what Adam is and isn't willing to discuss right like he's adam specifically avoids the question uh, at one point about about ronan like oh because Declan says i'm busy taking your calls taking his phone calls yeah. and uh adam just deflects so like i think he is that's true he's probably holding a lot of that he's holding a lot to, i mean he's he's chest. he's like got the boudica like documents somehow or he's got the moderator's documents somehow which we'll talk about the moderators in Budapest a little bit. And I love that that's the reason Ronan is like, I can't call Adam because Adam just will know too much. He'll figure it out instantly. And Ronan doesn't want him to figure it out because Ronan needs to head down this self-destructive path on his own right. so he can figure it out because he's absolutely right. And this is why Maggie can't have Adam that involved in this series because Adam would just fucking solve it. He would. Yeah. He would just, you know, clean so up the true. whole mess at about five pages. And then what are we going to do? God, I love him. She needs to sideline him. He's too powerful. He's too powerful. We love our our witch, Adam. Love <laughs> you so much. Our beautiful magic boy. But you know what we do get in this book? Yes, it's very devastating pinch stuff. The Tamquin wheels, heartbreak. Oh God, Ronan imagining Adam 
like imagining himself dying and Adam being a widower. First of all, just that means he's imagining him and Adam as being married one day. Love it. But then Adam being a widower and falling in love with somebody else. And then Ronan having to share Adam with somebody else through eternity. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so, so sad. It's so sad. But that, what, what that scene really makes me think too, and I'm just going to keep jumping back to my Ronan thoughts here as we go through, but like, you know, that just makes me think about how like Ronan does not, despite six books we've spent with him does not believe he deserves the things that he does have in his life that are great for him. And Adam being one of them, he does not, and he doesn't have enough value in his own life to think that a, he's going to live long enough. Like something's going to happen. So he's going to die before Adam. And like, he spends so much time again, twisting himself in the knots about how he's like, I'm not going to be the one to like get Adam kicked out of school. He just still never believes that he is enough. And so that, that, element of it is 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 so heartbreaking to me and so I think that's kind of why I keep saying like I'm okay when it comes to pinch stuff I'm devastated for Ronan like I'm gonna like cry right now I haven't cried yet we're like done with the Ronan section but like I am not devastated about pinch like I'm devastated about Ronan like it hurts me so badly but like Adam's like the good thing he's got in his life he mm-hmm. just needs to like see it and know that and like he's gonna get there but like it's hard to read I think that's kind of like the defining difference between Ronan and Hennessy is Ronan sees Adam growing up and and moving on in ways he doesn't think himself capable of. And he's sad about it and he's jealous to an extent, but at the end of the day, what he really wants is Adam to be happy. Yeah. And uh, he he wants those good things for him. And Hennessy looks at Jordan moving on somewhat without her and sees it as a personal attack. Well, we'll talk more about that later, but I also did want to mention that Declan describes the the place where Adam read does his tarot readings mm. as a, his little, his wizard's loft and describes it as smelling, or no, I think maybe this is a uh, Matthew who's describing this. It smells comfortingly old, like the barns. And I'm just wondering if that's what attracted Adam to that spot is oh. that it smelled like home oh my god Tasia it's not fair I mean again they, they they love each other a lot like okay it's can we just like brief shout out here and then this will be a good segue maybe into Declan the couple of scenes between Declan and Adam it's just like oh my two prickly sarcastic boys I loved it I love them so much. Much. I see you lost your accent. I see you lost your jacket. Like, be mean to each other in my vicinity for the rest of my life, please. That's all I want. It's the dream right there. It's it's so good. I mean, I think a lot of people wanted that. And that was one of the things people were really looking forward to in this in this book was to get inevitable Declan and Adam meetups. And mm, they lived up. I, I love to... It's, it was so genius to give Matthew like the POV chapter for their first meetup because like you've got Matthew being like they're talking about things here like and I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure it out and like but then Matthew like passes out and they're like Matthew what's wrong with you <laughs> they're all focused no my favorite part in that scene is they're all talking like grown-up businessman stuff and and Matthew is looking at Fletcher's vest his sweater vest and it's just like I'm into that. I like that. Right. Like, of, of course you do, Matthew, because you love obnoxious, ugly clothing. I and I love that for that. you. So good. Should we talk about Declan? You okay? You ready? 
<laughs> um, yeah, Declan. Wow. So I have an interesting thought about Declan okay. that we can start off sure. with. I was picking up a lot of interesting parallels between Declan and Green Mantle here. Mm. He mentions a few times that, he, that he's building like a spider web. And Green Mantle talked a lot about the spider web that he had built. And so there, there's a spider web. But in Declan's case, it's obviously more of a benevolent or safer spider web. One, one meant for protection for his family and his friends and not like Green Mantle, which was just for himself. Also, Declan's increasing interest in participating in the criminal underworld aspects of that life. Um, him falling in love with Boston. Basically, Green Mantle was from Boston. Mm. I just think there's a lot of interesting because, I mean, Green Mantle was a great character, a really competent guy. Um, obviously terrible, evil, all of that. But if we could have like a benevolent version of that in Declan, I would not be mad about it. Yeah, no, I mean, like, again, I think this is like an interesting thing too, to point at between Declan and Ronan and how like the Lynch brothers are so similar in a lot of ways. Like he's drawn to some of these like darker things and they thrill him. And like, that's always been a big appeal for Ronan for a lot of things. You know, he like mm-hmm. was really into Kavinsky, who is like the embodiment of a lot of these horrible things <laughs> of bad choices. Yeah. So that is a really interesting thing. Like, first of all, like pray to God though, that his, his ultimate path here is different than Colin Green Mantles, who's, mm-hmm meets in a violent death in, in the Raven King. But I mean, but he does it in his underwear, drinking wine from a bottle. What a so. way to go. There are, there are worse ways yeah, to go. For sure. It's all very aesthetic. But yeah, no, I think that's a really, yeah, it's a good way to put it. And I mean, you get that whole chapter two where he's thinking about how like into uh, like, you know, having his burner phone become like his real phone and like just, He's in, he's giving himself like the order and scheduling that he likes, but like in this kind of criminal underworld and he's just Declan loves roots. He needs those roots. He needs that foundation. And he's just like desperately grabbing for it here. And it's not in the way I think at one point he thinks about um, how he's just kind of reached a point where he's letting Matthew fuck up school. When's the last time Declan went to school? Who even knows? He's still in college. Yeah. He has an internship. What happened to those things? He just does not care anymore. Yeah. Which is great for him because that the, all of that was just a front. All of None of that was Declan. Um, he's doing things he actually wants to do, and I like that for him. Yeah. So I kind of look at it a little differently, though. I think there's, like, two things going on here. One is I think one of the most beautiful passages and chapters in this book is Declan thinking about how he wishes he could hate Niall, but he doesn't. Like, oh, yeah, I have that whole. Oh, it's so good. So, like he is embracing this like dark criminal underside world that was like his dad's thing. And he has a lot of like weird feelings about it. Like it makes sense that he likes it, but then he equates it with his dad who he wants to hate, but can't hate. So I think like, that's one thing that's going on on that. But like when you say like, Oh, I love that he's going to do what he wants. Like I, I now, especially in the second reread, he's just deluded himself like so much. Yes. He, I, I do not doubt that like he loves so much of his life and he he loves Jordan. We'll talk about the George Eklund of it all, obviously. But like he is just totally like saying fuck all to all these responsibilities. And I guess I don't think he like really wanted to be a politician. He wanted like the the stability and the the power that came along with that. 
but like now he's again he's shirking all of his responsibilities and i think he's just he's it's avoidance it's that it, to me it seems like classic avoidance behavior i think he's like kind of in a lot of ways in just as bad of a spot as ronan like he's kind of just like imploding. interesting i don't really see it that way at all i see it as him because there's a whole tarot thing that i'll talk about in yeah. a little bit but um a lot of what Declan thinks about and talks about and goes through in this book is about him. Like he has this whole part where he's thinking about meeting the Senator when he was young and he was on like a field trip or some shit. And um, he asked the Senate if the Senator had any, had any advice for him. And he says, know what you want and go for it. I think this is Declan finally knowing what he wants and going for it. And I think, I mean, I think there's a, a vast gap here between becoming a green mantle and living a fake life. I think he can kind of, and, or becoming like his father right. and being a better version of right. that. Like he yeah. can still have those interests and, and make it a, a different thing. So I think he is floundering a little bit and he's kind of grasping for these little bits of, 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 of structure yeah. and stability that he yeah. can, but I don't think the path that he's on is a bad one. And I don't think that it's right. avoidance. I think it's right. him finally reaching for those things he wants. I think when I, my concern though, actually, this sounds really weird. My concern for Declan is not the fact that he wants to entrench himself in the criminal underworld more. I'm like, great, go for that. My concern is that he's kind of like duped himself into thinking he does not care as much for a good chunk of this book about like what Ronan's doing, what Matthew's doing. Like that is like his, again, what's the word? I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, I texted you about this earlier today. The geese, G E A S. It's like the- I've heard it as as gesh, and I've heard it as geese. Okay, it's basically the heroes, kind of like a the, the thing that they have to do in like these stories that his mom and dad used to the tell. fatal flaw. It's like their fatal flaw, and I think in a lot of ways, like his is his brothers, and I don't want to say fatal flaw in a way that like is actually fatalistic and is going to kill him, but like that is the thing that the hero is compelled to they they can't avoid it they have to do and i think that that's his brothers and so for when i say he's floundering in a lot of this book i I think he's going for what he wants but he is kind of ignoring his 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 gish or however we're going to say it his his fatal flaw which is that he needs to care for his brothers and he's like you know what? This is great. If Ronan's going out there doing this like industrial espionage, like he's not hurting anyone. Like he's saving dreamers. And that seems like a really good thing. Like, so I think that that's just a little like unhinged. I think he and Ronan are both in different ways going for what they want. Ronan's looks so much worse because Declan's is dressed up in things that like are actually like good too. Like I want him to have all these things. I don't know. I'm just, I am maybe like just spiraling about it like a little bit, but I think it's a really interesting way for Maggie who has talked a lot about how she loves the second book because it's like really angsty for everyone. And it like really brings everyone down to their bottom. I think it's a really clever way for her to actually bring everyone down, but have some levity still in the story because she there's so many great moments between like everything Jordan and Declan again we'll talk about it but I just I think it's really interesting to look at it that way and I will admit the whole reason I went down this path is because in that same reddit asked me anything it was like a response to a very weird question not weird but I guess everyone's questions are valid but someone actually wrote into Maggie and said like why did you only bring up marriage in the context of a like straight seeming couple Declan and Jordan and not 
in Adam and Ronan, like, you know, we need more of that representation, blah, 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 blah. And Maggie was like, well, it's not like the marriage thing. That's the issue here. If Ronan was proposing marriage right now, like that would be a huge red flag. And for Declan, like his thing is like craving structure and like in, and having like plans and like being able to enact those plans. So like he's bringing up marriage because like he wants to secure himself to like a different future it's the most romantic woman in the book. Like we'll talk about it at length, but so it just kind of like peaked my mind. Like, is she looking at it in the same way that I'm looking at it, which is like, everything's coming up Declan. That's how I first read the book. So when I read it again, I was kind of like, is Declan like really okay? Like, I don't, I don't, he has things to work on. I don't think he's like in yeah. as bad of a place as, as Ronan. I think he, in general, he's on a track. Yeah. He's, and it's a good one. He's not, you know, he's on a roller coaster that only goes up. Right. Augustus waters. Yeah. Um, but another thing you brought up that Ronan, or sorry, Declan has always been the caretaker. Um, and that's just, he's always been the caretaker to his brothers and everything. And at one point God, it's so sad where he says, or he thinks that was Ronan's worst sin, idolizing their father grow up. But Declan couldn't hate Ronan for this. Now that Declan didn't have to parent Ronan, he no longer had to constantly compete with a, with a ghost. And just the idea of, of Declan competing with his dead father for Ronan's affections is heartbreaking yeah absolutely devastating but Matthew thinks when he wakes up to Declan screaming and he goes and brushes his teeth before checking it out because it's great Mm -hmm. um all of Ronan's dream creatures are like vying for Declan's attentions and to like feed them and stuff and Matthew notes that before they'd gotten there these dream things had obviously been taking perfectly fine care of themselves but and we know that Ronan's dream things love what Ronan does and kind of in some ways feel the same way he does. And so I'm thinking like, do these dream creatures look at Declan and see a caretaker because that's what Ronan sees. And so they're, you know, Declan shows up and they're like, oh, this guy is going to take care of us now. So we have to wake him up for, for food and for care. I love that scene. That seems so funny. He's like wrapped up like a ghost in the sheet. It's so funny. It's peak comedy for me. Just imagining Declan jumping up on his bed with the sheet pulled over his head, just screaming. It's hilarious. Yeah. But I do think too, like he may actually be in that scene or a different scene, uh, but a similar like thing is happening, but he, you know, he felt Matthew was taking all this a bit too far. Declan had put his identity crises on hold multiple times for the greater good. Matthew had only been asked to do it once. So I feel like that's kind of like he's relishing in the opportunity in this book to like get to be who he wants to be. And I like ultimately like really want that, but I just, I don't think he, he obviously he can't, he can't like fully embrace that yet. Like it's, it's what I want for him, but like, it's, it's like a house of cards at this point. He waits, he's waiting for the other shoe to drop, which is like really hard to read. Cause it's just like, he's really loving his life, but it's like, it's a precarious life. That's what I was waiting for the whole time. Yeah. Too. I w- telling myself the other shoes dropped at the end of this novel because he's got Ronan is like, in this is the most chilling moment of the book where Declan thinks that bride owned his brother completely bride owned his brother completely oh my god so chilling but like at the end bride does own his brother completely his he's totally lost any like semblance of trust he still had with with Ronan at the end Matthew is asleep and he won't know where I mean like shit has hit the fan I feel like the the school is gonna call Declan I think I think it's going to be easy. The second Matthew is next to Jordan, he's going to wake up because Jordan has a sweet metal. 
Yeah, that's true. So the Adam, I mean, sorry, the Matthew thing is, I think, going to be fine. Um, it's just a matter of waiting for the school to contact him yeah. so they can go get him and he can wake up. I did want to briefly talk about that tarot. Yeah, I was going to say, talk about the tarot. Thing. Um, so again, we've talked plenty about how nothing in Maggie's books is incidental or accidental. And it's something that I had kind of just rushed over when I read it the first time. But in the second reading, I decided to like look into it. So when Declan goes to find Adam, Adam is doing those like tarot readings where he's just kind of like fake it till you make it. And Declan pulls a tarot card, just like flips it over and just looks at it briefly. And Matthew notes what card it is. And it is the seven of swords. So, and I think, especially considering tarot imagery is like Maggie's thing. I think we need to take it seriously and consider it Declan's card, if not for the whole series and at least for this book. So what the seven of swords signifies is, is deception, cunning, theft, strategy, Uh, I think it could mean Declan himself will commit a betrayal or a theft or deception of some sort, or that he himself will be a victim of it. Um, And it can also suggest that Declan needs to put himself first for once in order to get what he wants and to prioritize himself. So if it's me interpreting this card for this book, I suspect that the card is hinting at Declan's betrayal of Ronan or the, the perceived betrayal of Ronan. Um, by sticking the moderators after Bride. Yeah. Um, Ronan clearly sees it as a betrayal. So I think that's what it is. And I also think it, it does signify that Declan is starting to make decisions for himself and prioritizing his happiness for once. And it's repeated throughout. That's the same chapter where he talks about the senator. And um, he think, you know, you, you have to know what you want or you'll never get it. So I think that's why I'm, I'm, I may be a little bit more positive on... Declan's trajectory here yeah. is just because I think it is just an embodiment of that you have to know what you want or you'll never get it. And it's Declan finally finally reaching for that for himself. And yeah, I think there's going to be some some stumbles along the way right. and he probably will need to find a balance right now. I think he's kind of giddy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. And maybe being a little reckless about it. Exactly. I think we like ultimately feel the same way. I'm just using like more fatalistic terms than you are to like describe it. Like, I'm not like, I, I like agree. Like I, it's the middle book of a trilogy there. No one's like in their final form at this point. Right. Like we're, yeah, I think we're kind of all on the same page there a little bit. God, he's, he, this is like a great Declan book because he gets to be so happy, but like he is just at peak exasperation during this book. And it's so funny. He's the funniest he's ever been. And he is typically funny, just kind of accidentally. Like <laughs> Declan is never intentionally funny. He just is all the Declanisms and all yeah. of that. Um, he is just genuinely hilarious in this book. I am just like tickled pink by him continuing to like just invoke the name of Mary. Like, to me, that is just so, like, old Irish man. Like, to be like, ah, oh. Like, it's like, to me, it's the equivalent of like, oh, saints preserve us. Like, it's just so, like, very <laughs> weird, like, old colloquialism. As someone who spent a lot of time in and around, in, in and around the Catholic Church, I, I don't hear, like, youths, like, invoking Mary's name. And it's just, like, makes him seem like such an old man to be like, Mother Mary. <laughs> Declan was born an old man. Yeah, he really was. Do we want to talk about Jordan now and then talk about Jordan Declan? Yeah. Great book for Jordan. For my my favorite chapters in this book, I think, are they back to back? I can't remember exactly. 
um, are the chapter that she has where she talks to Matthew off the crane and then the chapter, um, chapter 29, <laughs> like the infamous chapter for us, mm-hmm. uh, where she finally reveals her painting to Declan, but just a, a, a really good book for her. Like, you know, really feel for her a lot in wanting her own separate life for, from Hennessy. And again, I think, you know, in a lot of ways like Declan, she is also, avoiding they're both kind of like in this little bubble about what is really going on with with bride and they're like not really like thinking about it too much because they're just like jordan wants her life independent from Hennessy, and she's got it Declan wants his life independent from ronan and he's got it and so there's kind of like hey like this is great and then at the end i think they both have moments of like shit neither of them are okay uh but i loved seeing her think about about all of that and like establishing her independence and finally painting her own original. And we'll talk about all of that too, but like, I love her pretending to be the singular person that this is a forgery. Jordan Hennessy. Love her taking it upon herself to, to go to Boudicca and kind of like sussing things out here. She's the one who finds the information about this, the sweet metal, um, which is great. Um, is this, can this be where I get my gold star? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so for Corinne's gold star, she was absolutely right, and I was very, very wrong about the existence of something that can keep dream creatures awake after their dreamer has died. Yeah, and that Boudicca might have it. I am eating my words now because I definitely said that would not be the case because then the entire conflict of this story would be over and be solved. And it is not over and solved, even though it is, because that part is solved. We do have no way to keep dreams awake. Yes. And so, I gold mean, star for Corinne. Biggest gold star to Maggie to like resolving that, but also obviously keeping a huge amount of conflicts left in the book. Yeah. But it's it's really interesting too. And we'll, we'll talk more at the end. I think we'll have like an odds and ends section here, things that we like have questions on and are thinking about, but like I specifically was you know, when it came to Boudicca and more Cora and the new Finian, it's like, who are they all? And I think it came up in the idea of like the new Finian perhaps being a, a Nile dream. And then we're like, how is he still awake? So I, I'm so, so I'm keeping that theory on the table, even though we did not see them in this book, but yeah, no, yeah. it's, it, I love that Jordan's the one who gets that information. And I love all the art stuff in this book and that she susses out that there aren't and like her trying to puzzle through how they're made. Although I did think this is the one time ever that I felt like, Oh, like here's like some exposition for Maggie Seabotter where they like set where Declan goes and sells the uh, dark lady painting. And it's the guy just like, yeah, like it's, it's something that the artist does like something in the spirit of like the art or something like that. I was like, okay, like we're just, you're going to tell us. And, She's not going to figure it out. Okay. Well, they had to, they had to, I mean, that was them figuring it out. Right. Because she's still, that was, that's so vague. Yes. She still didn't know what that meant. So she still had to figure it out on her own. But uh, I love that for her. Yeah. It's a good, it's a great, it's great Jordan book. Just shout out to Jordan for being the perfect presence in Matthew's life. The exact thing that he needed to get him through this, because by the end he is ready to start. I think he says that he's going to start treating himself as real. So he, you know, takes himself to enroll in school. Baby. And, uh, and this is, this is because Jordan, she held his hand through this and she helped him get through it. And 
their their scenes together were great. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's all I got. Just a lot of love. I think my favorite chapter in the book is the is the crane chapter where she takes and she finds Matthew on top of the crane. And I have one of my favorite quotes from the book is is from that chapter. And the way she like totally pegs that like yeah, Matthew's a dream, but he's also like 17 and he doesn't know like who the hell he is because he's a teenager and like right. So some of this is dream stuff, some of it is just normal yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh my favorite part of that is when she takes him to her studio and um lets him before let's de- letting Declan, she lets Matthew look at the the portrait of Declan she's working on and he looks at it for like a couple of minutes and that's all he needs to see so much in it that his next statement is just like are you gonna marry my brother interesting question i love that she's like oh shit i thought you were gonna say something about how like the foreground needed to be like blah 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 like yeah uh, it's like it's hard to even paraphrase either jordan or hennessy because they're both such witty characters and i like I don't have that level of wit and so i'm just like ah like you're asking tough questions matthew but that's like not what she said she's like, <laughs> Imagine that, but cooler. Exactly. I'm not cool as the world of the story. Jordan. Yeah, Jordan. All right. So I think right away, I mean, the first thing we we know of Jordan in this book is that Jordan abandoned Matthew and Declan at a rest stop on the way to the barns, stole Declan's car and drove to Boston just on after like a text message or something from Boudicca. Power move. <laughs> seriously and she like drove away from them like see that they're just watching her drive away and she's just like well um what I love about this so much though is that Declan never brings it up I feel like in the hands of a lesser author who maybe wanted to mine that conflict for for drama between their characters it, it, it would be just beaten to death and and maybe Declan would come off as bitter angry and Jordan would be defensive, but Declan is never bitter or insecure about this. He never brings it up. He's never confrontational about it. What I love about Declan so much is that first and foremost, he's a fucking simp and he's just like, you know, Jordan's going to Jordan and he's just totally fine with it. And I, I love that so much. He, he sees her. I feel like that's what it is. And he just accepts all these parts of her, even when she dumps him at a truck stop. I love them though when they go to the art museum and he shows up there with her. She tosses him the keys and he's like, Oh, you're gonna tell me where it's parked? And she's like, Yeah, right. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just it's perfect. Like it's exactly what you said. Like he's just totally on board and he doesn't care that she sold his car. He's just like, Okay. Cool. She literally like let, abandoned him and his brother in the middle of the night at a rest stop in who knows where Virginia probably. And then he gets a postcard from her with just like the, the museum or whatever. And he like blushes and smiles at it. Like just no, no bitterness, no grudge, just thrilled, thrilled to hear from her at all. Immediately, immediately is like, let's go to Boston. Yeah. It's adorable. I'm obsessed with it. And it just gets better from there. So then he like goes to the museum in Boston oh god that's okay so that when he goes there and he's talking to her and he's like jordan hennessy was art in front of art in a room that was art in a building that was art in a life that it was art and jacqueline told himself he'd only come here to get his car back 
like just entirely it's too much for me and I always have to say that at the time of recording this podcast I happen to be in the Boston area visiting family and will I be taking my copy of Mr. Impossible on a field trip to the Isabel Stewart Garden Museum yes I will (laughs) because of this book because all, all the scenes there are so great I need to see Post it on the gram. I will totally post it on the gram because it was very exciting to realize that I was coming here and I was like, oh my God, I can actually go there and just like sit there in my door deck on thoughts. There's some great moments there. But I think the best moment, well, no, other than chapter 29, the best moment leading up to it, like we couldn't, we could have not gotten chapter 29 and like this boat date would have been enough. I have the most unhinged notes on this boat date. I absolutely lost my shit over it. Yeah. I love I love that even though Jordan sees him better than literally anybody else does. Like at one point she thinks Jordan was surprised to see that Matthew seemed to believe in the neutral, boring person Declan presented to the rest of the world. That meant Declan had played that role even at home. So even though she knows that that's not real him, that's not the real him. Um, he He's like, oh yeah, let's go out, you know, for a night out. And they get in this boat. And she's just thinking like, it's okay that this is a boring date. This is fine. Uh, You know, not everything can be exciting. She's trying to talk herself into like being okay with this just being a boring like boat thing. And then she realizes what he's doing is actually taking her to someone who can explain the sweet metals to her on another level. And he's, in order to get this information, he is literally trading in the one thing he has from his real mother, which is the, the, um, the portrait of the, the, was it the night lady or the dark, the dark, dark lady. lady, sorry. Yeah. Um, it's the only thing, the only evidence he has that he has a real mother that was not Aurora and he's trading it away so that Jordan can get information she needs to keep herself awake. It's incredible. And she sits on his lap. Oh, oh geez. Okay. Like, <laughs> do you want to read this quote or should I, because it's not what either of our students, but we're going to read it here. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll read it. Yeah. Jordan ducked under his arm on the wheel in order to sit on his lap. He matter-of-factly sorted out her voluminous ponytail as she leaned her head back on his chest to gaze up at the shifting evening sky. He bent his head prayerfully, eyes still, still on their destination. Now mouths and ears were close enough for speaking at a regular volume in this fast-moving moving boat. Ah, that's... I mean, <laughs> the matter-of-factly sorting out her ponytail... Yeah, it's like, that it's, part for me is... It's hot. Mm-hmm. And then I think there something comes up later in that uh, passage then where she like moves like and she's like somewhat closer for him and he like he's like gasps. It's just oh, that's good. It's so much. And then also and th- this whole time is going on there on this boat, Matthew's sitting in the back eating potato chips. Like <laughs> bless you, Matthew. But then I don't know why this this moment is so horny, but like they find out that stuff about the sweet metals. And then he just like looks at her and he goes, I expect great things from my portrait. Why is that so like the unreasonably sexy? I'm absolutely feral right now. Yeah. The boat scene just like, how dare she? <laughs> how dare she give it to us? It's, it's too much. Just so we, we were talking about it, like obviously a lot over the last couple of weeks and it's just been about how like starving we are for pinch content, but how well fed we are on the Jordeclin. Like it is just, it's chef's kiss. It's it's so good. And it's so, 
that it's not just like how like horny it is because it is like every scene between them that sexual tension is so strong but like so fraught they just are like such a good match for each other they like see Mm -hmm. exactly who each of them are (laughs) i can't i love them too much i don't even know well uh that moment he thinks um he'd never had anyone in his life who didn't need him to manage guard chastise protect he'd never had an equal he'd never even known he wanted an equal and now that she was there he liked it like shut up they're just perfect well and this is when and i meant to bring it up during the declan section but it, it kind of goes along with what we were talking about in the declan section is his feelings of inadequacy and his just wanting to hate but not being able to hate niall lynch that the story he tells her about how he understood why Ronan like wanted Aurora to be awake, but he like, you know, basically like resented Aurora and was like, what's the point? Like, she's just the dad's creation and like blah, 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 blah. And he says, then I said, I would never become my father, anything like him. And now look at me, look at us. Just like run me over with a goddamn truck. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't even, it's just, it's so, it's so indicative of like everything that Declan has struggled with throughout all of these books. But then also like Jordan's response to that is just like pitch perfect too in that moment. Like they both just have this, again, it's like a soul deep understanding of each other. It's incredible. And I'm obsessed with them. It's so good. It's so good. Just absolutely unhinged about them. I'm one of the things that I'm really unhinged about on this reread, because I was like calmed down a bit when I was finally reading the last chapter, is that Jordan is like walking down the street at the end and is still awake. But like Declan has like run out of his apartment where he just like was held at gunpoint by three moderators and like has this hat, his jacket half on, and like she can tell that he was looking for her. And like he like runs to her and he's like, Jordan, and she's like, I'm awake. <laughs> I don't want to think okay like I don't want to like negate any of the the Jordan and Declan stuff but like obviously he has another reason to want to keep dreams awake like Mm -hmm. he won't lose his whole family if something happens to Ronan but I think that he kind of thinks like okay like Ronan's taking care of this problem right now like he's kind of unloaded that so he's really hyper focused on on Jordan in that moment yeah and I mean, I I don't think he thinks much of Hennessy and vice versa, clearly. Oh, God. Um, but Hennessy has kind of proven herself to be a bit lackadaisical about her own safety and her own life. So he is just like desperately. I think he he has more trust in his brother as, as much as he knows about his brother and how kind of reckless and self-sabotaging he can be. But he, but Hennessy is like a, an unknown variable that he doesn't want to put any trust in and he's fallen in love with this girl and yeah of course he he <laughs> he has a, an interest in keeping the ley lines awake because he wants to keep her awake i knew it was going to come at one point i didn't know what part of the podcast we were going to melt down and not have words left anymore and i should have known it was going to be this because it's just like mm-hmm. it's 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 too much to like read the book like every line between them is so charged and i want to light myself on fire it's fine i'm fine you're fine <laughs> 
I've entered hysterical giggling portion of, of my Jordan feelings. I'm just over here like, hey. well, what's the line? Okay. They're like, they're going to parties. They're like living their like best life in Boston. Oh, God. And that to me is like the thing that's kind of like, okay, this is like reckless Declan. Like, boy, like you need to like wheel, like reel it in a little bit here. But I love the one line there that you've noted down. He liked how he looked on her arm. I love that. First of all, he's assigning himself as the arm candy and not her. Yes. We we stand a, a feminist queen, Declan Lynch. <laughs> but yeah, I just, he he is perfectly happy to be like an accessory in her life. He just wants to be a part of it. He just wants to be around her. He likes the way she makes him feel and the, and the person that he is around her. That's so good. I just want him to be happy, man. And, and uh, the, they make you, uh, I, I'm out. Put a fork in me. I'm done. Like one of the things that I had thought about before, and I think I had just talked myself into it. I don't even know if we really talked about it so much, much during our call on the Hawk episodes is that I was like nervous that Declan was somehow not going to make it out of this alive. I don't feel that way after reading this book. Like I'm, I, f- I feel like she loves him a lot. Like you can tell, like she's, she's really, um, like given him a lot here and it would just be like so horrifying and tragic for her to, take him away from us like after giving him so much of the stuff I'm not concerned about it anymore as I was yeah I feel the exact same I think Maggie's fondness for Declan drips off the page um I think she she really loves him I think she's loved him longer than anybody else has because she intentionally made him an unappealing kind of character very true uh in, in the raven cycle and yeah you know played that magic trick on everybody but yeah, I, I I can't see. I feel like it would be uncharacteristically cruel of her to yeah. walk that back now or to rip yeah. him rip his life out from right. underneath him. Right. Right when we 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 love him. She has other ways to torture her characters and torture her audience mm-hmm. that, that aren't that. And that's that's a cheap shot. And I don't think she's gonna take mm-hmm. it. Well, I feel like it's the same reason she won't undo the Adam and Ronan stuff like she has tweeted before about how she has no intention of breaking them up because she isn't interested in that and she doesn't want to undo four books worth of build up for them and character development and I think it's the same with Declan I feel like killing him off would undo all this work that she's put into him and it would hurt my feelings very badly please don't yes please don't um, and we'll talk, I think the good thing to conclude in this section on is because we will talk more about them in our soon section, but the idea of sweet metals and that like the code is cracked here by her painting her first original, but also <laughs> painting of Declan, it's like too much. Well, then it makes me think of too, how Maggie had painted Declan. She painted the sweet metal for us. Like it's on her Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like it's real. It's just, it's damn. I love it. Okay. Let's move on to something else here because just, just read the <laughs> book if you, and just if you don't feel like you're like burning from the inside, like I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, Maggie's just a fucking wizard with that subtle that subtle work she does with the with the romance. Yeah, it's it's never anything explicit or blatant. It is all just these quiet moments that just make you feel like you're on fire. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, that makes me think too. I'm just going to throw it out here now because I thought it was really great, but there is so much imagery and speaking of fire, one of the subtle romantic moments we always loved with when it comes to pinch from the original books is, you know, the ocean burned. 
which is so visceral. But then there's so many moments here in this book too, where Ronan talks a lot about burning imagery and like how it like he feels this happiness and it's like he's getting feelings of validation that he that are akin to how he felt for how he feels for Adam by going on this journey with bride. And that's what makes it so, so fraught. Like he is searching out for all that stuff, but yeah, no, that's like, she does this stuff so well. And then she brings it back. And if you're familiar enough with her language and you do, if you're obsessed with her, like we are in her writing, like <laughs> you start to reread these things and these phrases stick in your mind because they're beautiful. And then she uses them again to, really if you're a if you're a big enough fan of her work you realize like oh shit like that's how you know ronan is in deep because the ocean burned but like he's feeling yeah. that again here oh he he says at one point too like he, he was worried about his brothers he was worried about adam but like he also like felt like happy too and like oh all these things are happening oh my god yeah. anyway sorry as i said we need to talk about Ronan at the beginning because I was just going to keep coming back to him. Mm-hmm. It keeps happening. Let's talk then, because we did talk a little bit about them, uh, him briefly in regards to both Jordan and Declan, but like Matthew Lynch. We got Matthew Lynch POVs in this book. I loved them. They were so good. They were, I mean, I had high expectations for them mm-hmm. because, I mean, this was going to to be in the mind of Matthew Lynch of all people is always going to be fascinating, but they exceeded expectations. I love him even more. He's precious. Uh, he's hilarious. And he, oh, he, I'm okay. Here's where I stand on the does Matthew Lynch have internal organs debate. I think he does. And here's mm-hmm. why, because I think that like the way that bride is like brought out is like a manifestation. You know, he says, to Ronan, you wanted a teacher. Like, or Ronan thinks he wanted a teacher. He got a teacher. And it's like, I feel like dreams kind of work in a way that are just like, you want a brother, you get a brother. Like they fill in the gaps. Correct. It, 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 it weaves it all together. I, I like have a vision of like from Westworld where they make the, the things that are in the parks. Like they like are kind of like sewn together very like viscerally. And like, that's how I feel like a dream kind of works. Like it just sews together everything that you need. I think too, she's, I mean, she said it several times. If it, if it works in a dream, it works in real life. So if you create this human to work as a human, it's going to work as a human in real life, which would mean all of the physiology that a human needs. Exactly. So I, I, and, and, and his chapters are like, they're not just like mindless fluff. Like he has very intelligent thoughts. Like, yes, he is naturally predisposed towards happiness, but like he, obviously has a range of emotion here. We see that he's a fully formed person with his own interests and, and doubts and concerns and fears. And, and we get all that here. And it's really sad to see him think, uh, think things like how he was like a pet, like he was just meant to be happy all the time. Like, obviously he's allowed to have emotional range and he shows it here. And I think it kind of stomps on those ideas that like being a quote unquote simpler person means that you don't have any depth because Matthew is a quote unquote simpler kind of person. Like, you know, naturally, like you said, predisposed to happiness and to find pleasures in the little things and to kind of just be a, a joy beacon and a joy sponge, but he does still have a ton of depth of emotion and, and deeper philosophical thoughts about his own existence. He's going through a whole last existential dread right now. Yeah. He's also like our great source of 
comedic relief in this, which we'll save because I know we both have some quotes from him in our favorite quote section. But you know, he's just like he's he's a great yeah. He brings a lot of of fun to this book too, despite the fact that he's in this existential crisis. I loved all that, but I do have like two questions that I still don't know the answer to here when it comes to Matthew. One, what keeps saying his name? Yes. Uh, I kept thinking maybe Bride, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know too, because we knew that Bride obviously has been going to all these other like dreams and dreamers, but like. And if Bride is controlling that dream space and the lead line stuff, then maybe, I mean, it's the only thing I could come yeah. up with. Yeah. I literally can't think of anything else. I can't think of anything else either. And then also this could just be like callback to the Raven King or to the Raven cycle. But like when Ronan thinks about how he dreamt Matthew, he just like pushed the memory aside, but then he, he remembers it. And like baby Matthew is surrounded by Raven saying, make way, make way. And I was like, what does this mean? My point is I wouldn't be surprised if there's something like more to Matthew than meets the eye. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, One of the things we were talking about off air was like, you know, she's tweeted that book three will be fall 2022. We'll certainly reread and keep thinking about these things in the interim. So maybe like when we get closer, we'll be like, all right, what are we thinking in 2022 about what some of these things mean? Maybe we'll have some Matthew thoughts by then because I don't have have a year and a half to overthink. Oh my God. God (laughs) help us. Let's talk about Hennessy. Yeah. I mean, oh, Hennessy she makes it really hard to root for her and it's mm-hmm. well I like what she does for most of this book which is kind of push back a little yeah. bit on bride yeah. like she is she and Ronan in the in the beginning a little bit more were kind of skeptical of him rightly so right. but she maintains that skepticism and she finally gets the courage to break off her I love all of that for her that that last scene she has with Jordan I understand where it's coming from it is really bad she causes a massive accident that sends multiple people to the hospital, but also she tells Jordan that she wishes she were dead. It's so upsetting. It's, it's, it's really, really hard to read because you do feel exactly what you said, like that she had made a lot of good progress and was standing up for herself when it came to bride and was just employing the necessary skepticism when it came to him. But you do get all of her backstory in this book of how fucked up her parents were. Like both of them. Yeah. Awful fucking people. Yeah. Like her mom just only having enough love in her for one person at a time. And it always went to her dad first. And then like leaving her locked up in that attic for days and like forgetting about her. It's just, it's awful. So I, I get all of it. What I don't get is just like how she can still say that to to Jordan, I wish you were dead. Like, oh, it's so hard. She's punishing her for wanting for, I mean, because obviously Hennessy clearly has just very deeply rooted abandonment issues. Yeah. And she feels like Jordan is abandoning her. Yeah. And she's punishing her for it. Yeah. And you, you see a lot of her own guilt about the death of the other girls in this book. And like, really, Jordan is like a crutch for her in so many ways because like she can't also like go on and be her own independent person. Like she has to fuck around with Ronan and Bri because she needs to like figure out how to keep Jordan alive, you know, and like, like Ronan thinks like he'd lived with that ever since he found out he 
bumped Matthew, like she's had to live with that too with, with Jordan. And I think it's actually really sweet that she tried to protect Jordan from her mother. She didn't give her memories of her mother, of, of Hennessy's mother to Jordan. I, I think that's a nice like preservation instinct that she had there. But like she's in so much pain that she lashes, lashes out and basically wants Jordan to feel the same pain that she does too. Yeah. And it's awful because I mean, how old was Hennessy when she was locked in that studio for days? Little, yeah. Like like eight probably. Yeah. And at that age, had felt so much and been so traumatized that she was able to produce a sweet metal. Yeah. Like she had so much, cause I mean, what we know about sweet metals is it comes down to the feeling and the moment that you're painting, like what you're putting into it. And she put enough into it to make it an extremely powerful, like the most powerful in, in Boudicca's collection. Right. Yeah. An extremely powerful sweet metal. Yeah. Which is, is wild to me. I mean, and she obviously didn't know what it was. I don't think, I don't think Ronan knows what sweet, that sweet metals are a thing either. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to tell him I so know. he can like calm down on the bride stuff. Right? Yeah, seriously. But I wonder if, I mean, bride has to know that Hennessy has painted a sweet metal, right? Yeah. I would think that he would know that. Yeah. Because I wonder if, well, uh, that was one of your, your points that you made about bride in that scene where they're dreaming at the beginning and he tries to get Hennessy to paint mm-hmm. when they're in the, um, the living history museum mm-hmm. or whatever it is. I think he was trying to get her cause he, he tr- changes the dream. So it's a studio, puts a canvas in front of her and, and, and paints and tells her to paint, encourages her to paint and is like telling her, like asking her all these questions. Like, how do you feel? What do you feel? Put it in. You know, he's, I think he's coaching her. He's like pushing her into creating a sweet metal. And then at one point she like does something different. He's like, that's it. Yeah. Cause she's, cause she's thinking of Jordan and she's putting those Jordan feelings into it. And he's like, yes, that like yeah. keep going with that. Yeah. And then you wondered too, whether or not like she thinks she pulls a speck of paint from her dreams. Cause she's frozen when she wakes up, which meant she brought something back and she has paint on her finger. I think it could be that, but it could, I mean, and it depends because we know that sometimes dreams don't come out the way that you see them in the dream. Like we know before Ronan has like he thought he was dreaming a full-size Camaro or something and it ended up being like a a tiny car in a gold cage or yeah. something. Um, so maybe, you know, it seemed like a big canvas and she ended up dreaming a small one. So he was able to pocket it because otherwise he would not have been able to hide stealing that. But I don't know. I just thought because she woke up and, and Bride hadn't been, because Bride didn't dream anything, which we'll go back to. I, I don't even, I'm not, I'm 100% convinced he is a dreamer. Right, me either. Yeah, I, I he could have taken that from her because he could just be stocking up on sweet metals. I know now on the prologue, which I hadn't picked up before when he confronted Locke and he, you know, it says he took a small parcel that obviously that was Locke's sweet metal. Yeah. Sweet metal. Yeah. And he thinks about that at the end too. Yeah. I don't know. There's, I've, when it comes to like some of the magic stuff here, particularly when it comes to Hennessy, I don't know. I still don't have a good grasp of the let of the lace. I thought I would have a better one coming out of this book, but like, less of one almost. Yeah. Like, yeah. When it comes to, I mean, I get how it like, is like all these bad feelings, but like, why is it so attracted to Tennessee? What purpose did bride have in bringing her along with Ronan? Like, which is where Tennessee ends up at the end. She's kind of like, 
you don't fucking need me to do any of this stuff. Like I I'm useless to you. Like I'm just the lace. Like you're just pandering to me, like by keeping it at bay. I'm not really, I'm of no value here, which is again, why she lashes out, lashes out at Jordan. But like, but what? So I have those questions too. Like why? I almost kind of think that was fully Ronin. Like, like Bride knew maybe it would be easier to yeah. to to sway Ronan if he had somebody else, and some or safe. maybe that was something that was something Ronan dreamt into Bride. Like Ronan obviously needs companionship; he needs dreamer companionship, yeah. and he thinks when they are escaping after the moderators attack that he's like, "I'm, I'm going to come back for her. I'm yeah. going to come back for Hennessy." He wants Hennessy around. Um, that's another thing I was going to bring up. Was I I loved their friendship in this book. Yeah. It's so prickly because they're both so prickly, but they're also so like kind of soft with each other. Like when, when she dreams and she wakes up paralyzed uh, and the moderators are there and he picks her up and he carries her to safety. After she manifests the lace with the dream children and she like goes outside and cries and like he hugs her, he holds her. It's yeah, I know. It's so much. I know it is so much. Like they're they're family, and you know how hard it is for Ronan to make those yeah. connections. Like once when he makes those connections, they're real. They're permanent. Like, yeah. There's and there's great moments where they kind of like clock each other too. Or she really clocks him when she's like looking at him. He says more with the things he doesn't say. Like like and just, he like tries not to say something, but then like he gives it away in other ways. And mm-hmm. and like they poke at each other, yeah. and they hurt each other, but it's like. I don't want to like it's not I don't want to say it's done kindly but it's they know where yeah. there's a line there they're yeah. both prickly people and they both can take a lot yeah there's a line there they know when to be hard and when to be soft with each other yeah although it is I think Ronan goes too hard at that point where he's like well who do you have to call like you know it's just, yeah. just Jordan right like mm-hmm. that's a little blow and that's when she like sees that like there is this darkness to Ronan like she's like oh there's yeah he's an asshole yeah, he's not entirely the like it's not all a facade. Some of that yeah. is real. Yeah. But we knew that from the Raven cycle. Yeah, we did. But you know. Yeah. So let's then talk about where Hennessy ends up with Carmen and Liliana, who quite frankly have very few chapters in this book. Um, which, which is kind of surprising to me. But they were there. <laughs> I mean, like, here's the thing with Carmen. I said in the call down the Hawk episodes of this out of the show that I was hoping for by the end of the series, perhaps like Carmen would be my favorite like series arc. And I felt like maybe her arc was a little too rushed in this book for my liking. Like we get so few chapters. Well, I don't feel like there really was an I mean, arc. she like makes a turn and it was like, Oh yeah. The moderators are the bad guys. Like I'm a step away, which is like, but great. that doesn't stick. Right. Like she ends up essentially back into the fold yeah. and she ends up doing the thing. She, I mean, she, she told Declan that she wasn't going to, you know, I don't know. And, and then it made him look shitty for bringing all the moderators along and made Ronan feel like he was betrayed by his brother. Yeah. It didn't, I feel like that could have been, and it felt like such a big moment at the time when she was like, I'm leaving the moderators, yeah. but then they call back and she's just like, okay. Yeah. So she like tells them the whole plan. Like, hmm. yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It does lead into thinking, you know, what is Liliana? What is her deal? Because like, what does she want out of all this? So at the end, they convince Hennessy to dream something to like pull the plug on the ley line totally, which is very scary. But like, and I, she, she talks about like, okay, well, this is a good thing because like, you don't want 
Jordan to die. Like this, this way she'll just fall asleep for a little while. Like while we like figure some other things out, but like, what does she want from it? And we, I think the problem is we don't know enough about like the visionary magic here to really kind of establish what is her end goal? Like what can ultimately bring Liliana to a place of stasis so that she gets to like be with Carmen? Mm-hmm. Don't know. Well, she's, I mean, and we're never going to get a Liliana POV because she obviously knows too much, but she's working towards ends that we have no idea. Like, I think, yeah, her ultimate motivation is probably to get to a place where the the place that she has already seen in her mind where she's got this happy future with Carmen. Yeah. But, but what is she willing to, to allow to get there? And I have to say, you know, I, uh, we we just talked about how much we like love how Maggie Maggie writes some of this like subtle like romance stuff and she like writes such charged scenes. I was a little disappointed in their kiss. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was just the single. I don't know. There was an interesting moment. I mean, I was happy for it. I I was very stoked that they kissed because that was one of those kind of fan theories that everybody was really excited about and it didn't have a ton of evidence right. in Call Down the Hawk. Right. And then it ended up being canon. We'd love to see it. Yeah, great. But yeah, it was a uh, kind of lackluster. And there was there was nothing else. I mean, they their presence in this book in general was lackluster. Yeah, I agree. Although, and and it was interesting at the end when Hennessy had joined them, and Liliana says, "We all finally found each other." And for some reason, my brain just went immediately like, "Oh, Carmen, Liliana, Hennessy, Polycule." <laughs> Like I'd be down for it. I'd be let's, down let's too. Do it. Great. Yeah. Oh, there's already like fan art out there. It's supposed to be out like two weeks. Oh, is I'm there? Very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I, I am glad that you felt that, not glad that you felt that way too. I would prefer that we actually really liked everything we got from them in this book. But yeah, I don't know. It was just, it felt a little rushed for my liking. Maybe we'll get more of it. I just didn't find anything about their interactions nearly as compelling as I did about Carmen in uh, Parsifal in Call on the Hawk. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, that was not a romantic relationship, but it was just more compelling to me for many reasons. What One thing I do have questions on it is the whole Nathan Peruch lane of it all, because we get this whole background of him being the serial killer, which like, holy shit, we knew he killed people. But my assumption in Call on the Hawk was that he just like accidentally killed people as like a dreaming malfunction or something. No, no, like straight serial killer. Well, maybe, maybe I'm still not, I, I still feel like there's so much more there. Yeah. It felt like too on the news because I don't feel like there was enough introspection on Carmen's part about like, obviously she has like huge conflict in her role in her brother's death. And she thinks about like, okay, is she like her brother because she's bringing about the death of the dreamers? Like, I don't want to like say that wasn't like good stuff for Maggie. Cause it was, it just didn't feel like it was there just to serve as Carmen's like her metaphor like Maggie loves to work metaphors like wasn't didn't feel like it was just there for like Carmen to compare herself to I keep going back in my head to when Nathan said to her right before he was killed which is I expected more complexity from you Carmen and I feel the same way and I feel like there's still something there to mine. I don't know if there really is, if this is just kind of always going to be one of those lighter, fair kind of characters, but I don't know. I still feel like Nathan and Nathan's whole backstory still has some, some part to play in here. I don't know if maybe he was being 
seduced by bride or, or bride was trying to uh, recruit him or something. Um, Cause bride, well, we know bride set out 23 mannequins and maybe he did do that on purpose as a kind of job at Carmen. Yeah. Cause Nathan supposedly had 23 victims, but was it Nathan that killed them? She noted that his, his note, his manifesto or whatever sounded nothing like him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I still feel like there's so much in the air with that whole story. Maybe I'm giving it more depth than it actually has. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I feel I feel like there's something more there. I was trying to look at the manifesto too to see if I could like draw any parallels with other things and it like wasn't really working for me. And then there was a lot too on on Tumblr about like the scissor imagery and like there's some descriptions of Ronan involving scissors. I I I I my brain was too broken about too many other things. And again, like you said, like, is Carmen just going to be one of these characters that's just kind of like periphery? And for me, that's kind of where she's at right now. So I was just more interested in thinking about all these other things. And it feels weird if that's the case, that would be because in the first blurb of the of Call Down the Hawk, it's like you get Ronan is blah, 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 blah. Jordan Hennessy is blah, 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 blah. Carmen Fruk Lane is blah, blah. So she yeah, feels yeah. like she's supposed to be a main. Yeah. I'm looking back at the manifesto now and I did highlight this, but I don't know what I meant by highlighting it. Making room means deletion, not cutting because cutting these pieces and pieces take room, just different room. Deletion is erasure, which makes space for the open edge of a blade. It kind of made me think a little bit about how bride like wants them to dream things that don't like, aren't like permanent. Mm. Like he, he's very big into like the environmental, like ramifications of things and like so that it, that was the only thing that was kind of like okay. brightest captain planet yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> but that was like the only thing that like stuck out to me because like okay this kind of sounds bright like mm-hmm. but i don't really know i don't know i have no idea so yeah maybe there's hopefully we'll get some more there but i think then this too is a good spot then to switch into kind of our last section we briefly want to touch on here is just kind of like Mis- miscellaneous like world building like what the f is going on stuff so i miss more in the new finian i miss more in the new finian too and Boudica, like okay yeah they they knew the sweet they have the sweet metals that's great my big question is okay like i i feel like they're tied into the moderators somehow like they're dreamers and now that because the biggest for me even more so than the the ronin drunk bride thing is the moderators all being dreamt. Like that was like. Someone had to provide them with their sweet metals, right? Yes. And Boudica probably has the largest collection of them. Correct. So big question. How are more and the new Fenian going to come back into play? They have to. Like, I want that. Can I, I I'm going to talk about this other like moment I had though, of like ding, ding, ding. Like, ooh, I like know what this is talking about. Cause I was very impressed with myself. I will admit it was a shower thought that where it came to me, <laughs> but I was wondering what was writ with the, the written on the, the mannequin of lock thing, 30 pieces of silver. And then Ronan says it to Declan at the end too, on that phone call. Like, what was it? 30 pieces of silver. I'm like, why does it sound so familiar? So it was in the shower and I, without realizing, and this is what I love about music. Sometimes we're just like kind of creeps back in. I had Jesus Christ Superstar stuck in my head and it was Judas singing about silver pieces. And I was like, wait. And I Googled it to remind myself that 30 pieces of silver is what Judas Iscariot got from the Romans for betraying Jesus. 
So like, okay, betrayal. And it makes sense then that Ronan is saying that to Declan at the end, like, Hey, you like betrayed me. Was it 30 silver pieces? But then it's written on locked shirts. It's like, who did he betray his dreamer? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the only thing I can think of is that, you know, I mean, because it is weird for a bunch of dreams to be hunting dreamers and you would, I mean, they have maybe killed their own, their own dreamers after they got sweet metals. I don't know. And, and there's a question too, as you said, is bride a dreamer? We have not seen him dream. Now the omniscient third person narration that we get in the prologue and the the last chapter refers to him as a Zed. So like, mm-hmm. I'm taking that at face value for right now. If that is the case, did he somehow dream the moderators and they turned on him? I don't know the answer to that, but they seem to all be dreams. They all like, pass I think that makes total sense too. Yeah. So, and are they all part of some big master? Did they like turn on him? Or are they all part of some big master manipulation of like all the rest of the, the dreams? or the dreamers. I don't, I don't know, but like, it's really chewy. That was a turn. I did not anticipate it making this. It's like, it's fascinating to me. That was, that was quite the shock. Maggie shocked me. But yeah, I, I want to see, I want more. We have, we have to be getting more, more Cora. Like we have to be getting all that. And I, it's, it's got to all tie in. I just, I can't even believe that they weren't in this book at all. Yeah, like I'm shocked. shocked by yeah, that. It was wild. I also think, and this is a much more minor one, but I think um, I still, like, if the series ends and I don't know who the fuck broke into the barns oh, yeah. in Opal, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. I've been thinking about this for years. Yeah. Give it to me. Yeah. Let me sleep. <laughs> yeah. I want to rest. Yeah. <laughs> I want to rest, too. <laughs> I want to rest, too. And on that note, are there any other <laughs> big, <laughs> big things uh, that we want to talk about here? Because... Wow. I mean, there's a lot in this book. Yeah. And like you said, I think we will eventually maybe come back and do a refresher before book three. Yeah. Um, not, you know, we've had a little bit more time to, to marinate in our thoughts and uh, do a reread that doesn't feel so ouchy. Yeah. Cause this, this hurt this, my feet were dragging and going through this reread because it just mm-hmm. like knowing what was coming. But, you know, I felt similarly with Call Down the Hawk after I first read it. I talked about that a lot when we did those episodes that I couldn't go back to it for a long time because it hurt me. This one hurt more. But, like, eventually I think I'll be able to get there. Yeah, I think we reread it when when the wound was still too yeah. fresh. Yeah. Uh, gosh. All right. Bad, bad planning on our part. On that note. Superlatives. <laughs> Happy things. Favorite quotes. Should we just do our typical back and forth? Yeah. All right. I'll go first. I don't have the capacity for your identity crisis this morning. Exasperated Declan yeah. is the best Declan. It really is. There you go. Um, you said this one earlier, but I'll, I'll just go ahead and do it again. Nightmares are chemical. His boyfriend, Adam, had told him once, inappropriate adrenaline responses to stimulus, possibly related to trauma. Talk dirty to me, Ronan had replied. Our only flirty pinch moment in this whole thing. <laughs> no, GD just got to cling to it. Yeah. Uh, this is from Hennessy in this scene where they go to the the diner and they use the dream orb and everyone's like frozen and they're eating. I'm rededicating my life to these French fries. Before this time, I was a sinner finding pleasure in wine, women, song, and sometimes cocaine and grand theft auto, living moment to moment, not thinking about the consequences of my actions 
on my own body or others. But now I have seen the light and I will instead worship at the altar of stolen fries. I will paint murals in their honor. I will rename myself Tuber. (laughs) Tuber is capitalized. Something we didn't talk about in the Hennessy section, but I love how she is just like infamous for all these very long monologues that she uses very intentionally to kind of like throw bride off when he's like about to go into a big, you know, his, his posturing and his, you know, blah, 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 bullshit. She uses it to kind of like deescalate the situation before he can get on a good one and start tearing them apart. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Again, you have to just read Jordan and Hennessy to like really get Jordan and Hennessy because they're so clever. It's they're great. Yeah. All right. Uh, and this this one is easily just like my ultimate favorite quote in this whole book, aside from one swoon one. But um, Mother Mary Declan said with exasperation, "Do we have to do this every day? Just say you want a therapist for your birthday." I <laughs> was I was at a restaurant sitting outside on the patio having a beer and a dinner and, and reading this. And it was like a semi full patio and I was by myself and I was like straining to not cackle, like jump up and cackle at this. It was so funny. It's so good. It's like the peak of, of what is so funny about this one. Just, just say you want a therapist for your birthday. I'm going to use that now. Yeah. yeah. Oh golly. Okay. This is from that chapter with Jordan and, Matthew that I loved so much. And he's like, you know, why, why does he treat you like you're real? And, you know, they're having a big heart to heart about this. And she says, you know, we're not that different in the ways that matter. Your boy Declan just pretends it matters. So he doesn't have to think too hard about his mom and how he feels about that. And because he's afraid that if you're a real person, you'll grow up and leave him and then he won't have a family and he won't know who he is there. There's your $2 therapy session. I don't know if it's for you or for him, but maybe you can split the cost. You're pretty cool. Said Matthew. Oh, yeah, I am. Just has him so pegged. Yeah, perfect. It's so good. All right. You just think I'm stupider than her, Matthew said. You save all the smart things to talk about with her and then just point out people walking dogs to me. Do you or do you not like it when I point out dogs? Declan asked. It's so funny. (laughs) It's so funny. I love it so much. All of the Declan and Matthew stuff was so funny in this whole book. my siblings out the window I think that's what says that's what prompts Declan I think to say like I don't have time for I don't have the capacity for your identity crisis this morning (laughs) and then uh, speaking of funny Matthew moments home was a Fenway apartment Matthew thought of as old man eyebrows because of how the detail work over the windows looked like fat frowning eyebrows it had seven rooms with which Matthew had mentally named twice, once after the seven dwarves and once after the seven vices. Happy gluttony was the kitchen. Bashful sloth, the living room. Grumpy lost Declan's bedroom. It's the perfect, perfect name. I love it, <laughs> I love it so much. I love it so much. Oh, okay. Favorite character and favorite character arc. Why don't you go first? Because I didn't write anything down because I don't know yet. <laughs> I think I actually have Matthew for arc. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you know, we've already explained why, but yeah, I think he, with with Jordan's help, really kind of goes through it and gets through it in this one. And it's a real bummer. He's fallen asleep at the end, right when he's decided to live his life as if he were real and sign up for school and, you know, 
it'll be fine. Yeah. He's going to wake up. It'll be fine. But yeah, great arc for him. Um, favorite characters. Everybody makes me very sad in this book, except for Declan and Jordan. So they both get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree totally on Matthew for arc. And I think he might be favorite character for me too, just because I had, like I said, I had high expectations. I knew that they would be met for his POV, but like, it, I just, yet another lunch brother that I like love with will die for Brandon. Yeah, totally. And, and I think probably him and Declan together in this book was just the comedy too, <laughs> but like, it's like yeah. getting on the square. Like everything is just like very fraught underneath. It's, uh, it was all really good stuff. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to go to Matthew for both. I like all the stuff this, this time around. All right, soon. Take it away, Tasia. You got the real one. By the time we're married, Declan said, eventually, I want you to have applied for a different studio in this place because this man's paintings are very ugly. Her pulse gently skipped two beats before continuing on as before. I don't have a social security number of my own, Potsy. I'll buy you one, Declan said. You can wear it in place of a ring. When I tell you that I nearly screamed reading this, by the time we're married, I'm going to get it tattooed on my face. Like we need to do a sentence diagram because there's so much here that we need to talk about. It's like, yeah, by the time we're <laughs> married, just again, like, are you kidding me? Yeah. They have not kissed. They had not kissed at this point and he is ready. He is just hitting the gas to the floor. Like, and it builds off of, this is chapter 29, such a beautiful chapter where he's talking about how he, he, he understood, but like, didn't. He thought it was silly that his brothers wanted to wake up Aurora and he like swore he'd never be like his dad, but like here he is and like blah, 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 blah. And like he's about to see the painting for the first time. And one of my swoon worthy lines, I think is either right before it's before the by the time we're married, he says like, she's like, oh, like, I don't know if I want you to see it. Like, well, like, you know, you're a liar. Wait, like, she's like, you're the biggest art snob that I know, yeah, and, which is saying a lot. And you're the biggest liar too. And he goes, do you think I could still convincingly lie to you? <laughs> and then she's like, yes. And he's like, do you think I would? Oh like, my God. Ah. <laughs> so much. But it like builds to you by the time we're married. Like mm-hmm. just, Keisha had read this first and just texted me was like, when you get to chapter 29, I need to let you know. So I was like worried. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I'm like, what if it doesn't like meet my expectations? Oh no, no. <laughs> they were exceeded. And this chapter convinced me that I never want to read a book ahead of you ever again, because not having somebody to scream to immediately after reading that was like physically painful. No, I, can't imagine. I had no idea where to put all the, that energy it was difficult. By the time we're married is kind of like up there for me with like a lot of our favorite pinch stuff from the the mm-hmm. Raven cycle. Like it's up there with like Adam lived in a yeah. room above the scene. I like yeah, the it's up there because of his worship and yeah. in one downtown block. Yeah. And then like the the whole the social security number stuff, he'll buy everyone. Like it's just, just like yeah. It's yeah, it's a lot. And then he ends like that whole that whole thing and he goes, I think it's time you showed me the painting. And I'm just like, good God. He says her name that morning, uh, in that moment too. He's like, mm-hmm. I think it's time you showed me the painting, Jordan. And I, it's something about like using someone's name is so intimate. And because like she never got to be Jordan, like she always had to be like Jordan Hennessy 
or Hennessy. And so again, it's in that moment, like getting to say her name is, is so important to her. She doesn't even think that, but like, I, as the reader take that away from call on the hawk. It's just, it's Maggie. Mm. It's so good. Damn. I did pick another one called sad swoon in my notes. <laughs> it is sad for me to read this. Seeing the two pairs tumble together and nameless feeling had suddenly overwhelmed Ronan. It was about Adam's gloves here, but it was also Adam's jacket tossed on a dining room chair, his soda can forgotten on the foyer table, him somewhere tossed with equal comfort in the barns, his presence commonplace enough that he was not having to perform or engage with Ronan at all. He was not dating Ronan. He was living in Ronan's life with him. So like, this is, Ronan thinking about like his his work gloves being tossed on top of Adams and like he thinks about it at the end too when he's like basically just like diving off a cliff at the end essentially and so it's it's such beautiful imagery and it's so painful to think about in the context of where they are in this book but it's that's how you know that's how I know they're going to be okay like because of that Ronan is thinking about that at the very end too and it's very important to him and they they're gonna they're gonna have that life some way the domesticity of it all beautiful yeah I mean our some of our favorite stuff is is Adam at the barns and that's a, that's the littlest callback we get to that that in this book and it was delightful and I loved it. Well, it was a long one, which we knew it was going to be. We kept it a lot tighter than I expected. Right before we recorded, we were like, oh, why aren't we doing two episodes on this? Like we did for every other book in the Raven cycle, except for the Raven Boys, after which we realized we can never do that again. That we stupid. have to it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I think that this was good because the the thing about reading all the other books in this world was that we've had like years to ruminate on them and therefore have more articulated thoughts. We wanted to get something out on this sooner rather than later. The immediacy makes it it's like a completely different experience. Yeah. Talking about. Yeah. So that's why I think we will revisit it closer to the next book because we'll have time to really like chew on it and maybe do a whole other reread leading up to it. So things will be fresher in our mind and yeah, it's going to be great, but a gut punch of a book, but it's so good. So good. Can't believe we have to wait a year and a half, though. Oh, God. All right. Tasia, do you want to do the honors of uh, announcing our next book? Yeah. So in two weeks, we will be covering one last stop by Casey McQuiston. Again, we want to emphasize that this is not a YA book. Uh, this is a new adult book. There is going to be very adult content. We are covering it because we covered Red, White, and Royal Blue, Casey's debut novel, and we loved it entirely, and we're going to love this one entirely. So, you know, we're allowed to go off format because this is our podcast. Exactly. She's a very important writer to us. We've loved Red, White, and Royal Blue a lot, so we wanted to, even again without reading it, we wanted to to covering it here on the pod because we're so excited about it and she is has said that her next book is going to be her YA debut so it's like she wrote it just for us really so we can finally like have her be on theme for this podcast if we're going to continue to cover her so I really appreciate that but no I'm really excited about it I um, did get my copy that I pre-ordered early this week I have not read it I've been traveling I've read like 150 pages of it so far it's really good and I'm excited to talk about it so 
we'll we'll be back in a couple weeks it's gonna be good (laughs) Asia where can people find you online you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. And you can find me on Instagram at Rin underscore Reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Act Your Age. You can choose an email if you'd like at actyouragepod at gmail.com. And if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, that would be extremely helpful to us. And we would appreciate it very, very much. Otherwise, friends, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye.